get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Uh, So I think if if you had that exact same roster back, uh, you'd probably reassemble here and and say, gosh, last time we were all together, that was tough. We're going to have to play a lot better. But you look at this roster... And uh, a lot of new faces. We're going to see Mike Hoffman. We're going to see Tori Krug. We're going to see some uh, fresh rookies coming into uh, to the, the lineup. I think uh, you look at Jordan Cairo, maybe he gets some more time. Robert Thomas in the top six. Billy Huso is going to be the backup goalie. A new captain with Ryan O'Reilly. So, Dan, we're going to see a completely different makeup, and I think it's going to make it a lot easier for this Blues team to turn the page. That was Jeremy Rutherford talking with our guy Danny Mack. If you missed any of the conversation, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. The podcast is presented by I Promise. Roster change doesn't have to be a bad thing, Alex. I think that's what we are learning here in this first week of Blues training camp. By the way, he's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario. We are live from the new E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. We will be here the next two days as we preview the start of the NHL season, the start of the Blues season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. I know you're excited because I came in this morning and there was a glow on one Alex Ferrario's face that I haven't seen, I believe, since basically the end of last season when the Blues got knocked out of the postseason. How are you feeling today, Ferrari? I have so much energy right now. It's probably illegal how much I am holding. And I'll correct you there. I wasn't excited for a bubble play. I was excited hockey was back, but let's be honest, bubble play is bubble play. This is the most excited I've been since, what, March 12th when the season uh, went into its final leg before it was canceled because of the coronavirus. I know it's not the same. I know there's no fans in the building, but this is going to feel at least somewhat normal for us. But again, who cares? We got hockey back, boys. I have a, I got a little extra step today, BK. Okay. I'm just saying. I know you do because I was driving into the studio today, Ferrario. Yep. And as I'm driving in, I pull up. I'm listening to you on with Danny Mack, and I'm like, life is good. Hockey is back. Alex Ferrario's talking about the Blues previewing right. the season. He's talking about what he he has just witnessed, something on the ice, and he's ready to talk about yep. it. Yep. Alex, we got a chat, man. Okay. We got a chat. What's the problem? You compared Robert Thomas and Mike Hoffman yeah. to Hull and Oates. Okay. Now, now let me. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Okay. Alex. Okay. That's maybe the best combination of forwards yeah. in the history of Blues hockey. Yeah. A history that has a lot of good players. You're right. You compared Robert Thomas, an objectively good player that Craig Berube has said has the potential to be a star in this league. I, I get that. Yeah. And Mike Hoffman, a really good player. Yeah. 
to Brett Hole. Okay. Hand yep. out. I understand. I understand. Do we need to slow down a little bit no, here, buddy? No, we don't, because what would you like, BK? Would you like the optimism? Would you like the positivity? Would you like me to say, oh, well, Mike Hoffman looked great. He took a shot from Robert Thomas in the past. No, you want to hear the excitement. I did say, though, that they are not going to be Hall & Oates, yeah, well, but they looked like Hall & Oates because the speed down the ice, the quick pass from Robert Thomas, and the snipe shot of Mike Hoffman. You know what, BK? I don't like your negativity to start today, so I think you need to get that in check. Listen, listen. This is this is not negativity. I'm very excited to see what Robert Thomas and Mike Hoffman can do together. I think it could be a special pairing. I think comparing those two, and by the way, we have this cut. For anybody that missed it, here's what it sounded like earlier today as my guy, Alex yep. Ferrario, who I love, and I am thrilled that he is as excited for hockey season as he is. Here's what he said as he was talking with Danny Mack just about 30 minutes ago. Thomas DeHoffman, let me tell you, Dan, it reminds me an awful lot of Oates and Hall. Oates and Hall. I'm not saying it's that right now, Dan, but I am saying that it looked really good. Brett Hull scored 527 goals in okay. St. Louis. Okay, yeah. Adam Oates, in his three years in St. Louis, had 228 total points. Okay. Are we sure that's the comparison we're going with? You know what? We're not sure because the excitement <laughs> took over, and the first thing I could think of was Hull and Oates. I mean, if there's a better one-two punch, then I don't, uh, I can't think of it. You know, Jamie Rivers is texting me now, telling me that I must be drunk, and I'm not going to argue with that. But again, this is the optimism. This is the excitement, boys. I hope it is Hull and Oates, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope it's Hull and Oates <laughs> that on means the ice. We're watching something potentially historic here in St. Louis. But maybe I'm I got too excited. Maybe I got too excited. I'm sorry. Sorry, let, let me rephrase that then. Thomas and Hoffman on the ice looked like a elite passer and an elite sniper that the Blues have been missing for a long time. I like that. Okay. I like that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 509. BK, just let him be excited. I, I am curious. Text line, am I overreacting here? Am I being unfair? Was Alex totally justified in comparing... Hoffman and Thomas to Hole and Oates. If, they, if, if I'm being unfair here to my guy, Alex Ferrario, yeah. please feel free to let me know. Listen, I get carried away sometimes. You know, I, I get excited. I never get carried away. So. Especially about my Chiefs or if we're talking about the Cardinals. You know, I'm, I'm very excited about Dylan Carlson. And so I've made some strong comparisons for him. I get it. I totally understand. I can I can get lost in the moment sometimes. I feel like my job here, though, Ferrario, for you, for, for the betterment of you and me, is for me to keep you grounded a little bit. And yeah. so when we see something that is very exciting the okay. first time that you see hockey in, yeah. in person in nine months, I think it is my job to br bring you back a little bit, reel you back in as okay. we're talking about potential Hall of Famers yeah. that are on the ice for the Blues today. So your job is to make me grounded. Your job is to bring me down a level, right? from the 314. Captain Buzzkill over here. And I'm not going to argue with that. You might be Captain Buzzkill here. You might be. This is also my job. My job is to be BK Buzzkill. That's I never even Buzz thought kill about BK. BK. Buzzkill BK. That that Boy. is that is my role on this show. Boy. We've known that for months. That is yeah. nothing new here. My job is to play the role of Buzzkill. And yeah. so as I'm driving in and I hear Hoffman and Thomas basically synonymous with Hole and Oats. It is my job to make sure that we don't 
uh, go over the top here when we're discussing Okay. It. That being said, there is every reason to be excited about this team. Now, are they going to be Hull and Oates on that top line? I, yeah, probably not. I would probably argue not. Yeah. But it is exciting, nonetheless, that they have these new faces. And for Ario, for all that we have talked about the leadership that has been lost, I think lost in that conversation is the fact that this team has added some really good players that can add a different style of leadership, but leadership nonetheless. You've got Tori Krug, who's played for a cup. You've got Mike Hoffman, who's one of the best power play goal scorers in all of hockey. You've got Kyle Clifford, who has a ring himself and has been described by Jamie Rivers as being a fantastic teammate yeah. that everybody who has played with him absolutely adores playing with and fills a role that the Blues players have admittedly to Doug Armstrong said after the season, we needed a guy like that. Right. We needed something like that. We were missing it last year. Right. And so he went out and got Kyle, Cl Kyle Clifford for a reason. There's every reason to be excited about this hockey team. And now that we've heard some of the comments coming out, it seems like they're kind of refreshed. Mm -hmm. They're happy to have some new voices, some new skill sets to be able to mix in with what they're doing. Sometimes what you do gets stale. Sometimes when you're doing the same thing every day with the same people every day, it can get stale. And with when you add in guys like Krug and Hoffman and Clifford, I think that adds a new mix or a new flavor, mm -hmm. a new flair into the mix that's going to be potentially really good for this well, team. And Krug said it on the Zoom yesterday. You know, He said he could have gone to the Bruins training camp this season and he could have done it with his eyes closed. It's the same thing over and over. I think what you have done is what you did two years ago when you won the Cup. You instilled new life into a locker room and that's not a bad thing because you know that group was good together I mean that group was first in the NHL before it was paused last season but when you bring in a guy like Tory Krug who has been doing the same thing every year you get hungry to try and do something else and prove you're worth doing something else right because Krug hears what people are saying on national television and radio outlets in the hockey world is that oh well it's a different scenery I wonder how he's going to adapt well now he has the chance to do that oh and by the way it's with the team that he lost to winning the cup with. If you don't think Kyle Clifford is hungry for another Stanley Cup, you're sadly mistaken. If you don't think Mike Hoffman is just hungry for some freaking playoffs, because his entire career, he's played in the playoffs three seasons between Ottawa and Florida. These guys want the cup. These guys want a shot at it. That's why they came to St. Louis. That's why they signed here. So that energy mixed with guys who have won the cup, mixed with a guy who is now a captain, mixed with a guy who is now the number one defenseman in Colton Pareko, that instills life into a locker room. And just watching it on the ice, I know I did sound a little overexcited here talking about them, but when you see these guys on the ice, I mean, they're already throwing bodies around in the corner, which I know you have to do in an expedited training camp. But these guys are throwing bodies around. They're showing the speed. They're showing the skill. They know they got to get amped up for this. But I do think there's a hunger in these guys with these new faces that's making them play that way. JR was able to watch the full practices yesterday. He's going to come on with us coming up at 1130. By the way, Mike Hoffman, the new Blues forward, is going to join the fast lane coming up today at 215. I wonder if they're going to ask him if he and Robert Thomas are like Hall & Oates. I think they should. I think they should. I think they should. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. It's 1110. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jewelers. Speaking of times, Ferrario, there was a lot made over the last few weeks since the announcement that the Blues are going to play in the Pacific Division. Well, it was at one point called the Pacific Division. I'm not sure which one it is now, but apparently the divisions in the NHL are going to be called Discover, Honda, Mass Mutual, 
and Sco- Scotia Bank. Scotia Bank. That probably is the Canadian division. I would I, imagine. I would think so. I don't know which one the Blues are playing in. If it's Discover Honda or Mass the, Mutual, I think they're in the Honda West. So it's an easy one to say, rather than the Mass Mutual one. Okay, so we are playing this year in the Honda, the Honda West. West division. And when you break down the Blues start times, we probably made a little bit too much of this. They're going to play on the road three nine thirty starts all year. Five nine o'clock starts, two eight thirty starts, nine eight o'clock starts. It's rough, but it's not as bad as I right. was expecting. So basically, you've got those. What is it? Ten games total that are starting at eight thirty or later. Yeah. All things considered, man, I I can't complain about this, given the fact that the Blues are in a division that I think is going to be more interesting for the teams that they're playing. I can deal with ten late starts if that's what it means. Yeah. And what is it? It's it's eight. Nine o'clock or later starts, I believe, or six, nine o'clock or later starts that these guys are going to be going through. This is what I expected. I expected the NHL to recognize with the fan base that nine o'clock starts suck for a team that's in the Midwest and they're going to adjust to it. And frankly, six, nine or nine thirty starts is about what you would get. It's actually two games less than what you would get in a normal season by playing on the West Coast two different times. So this is you got to applaud the NHL for doing that and recognizing the frustration from the fan base. But look, I understand 8 o'clocks aren't the greatest, but you're getting 25 7 o'clock starts. And if there's 10 8 o'clock or later starts, yes, it's not fun. We, we're going to live with it, though, because it's going to give us something to look forward to every night, which is what I think the NHL is going for. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 417. Guys, BK stands for Buzz Killington. That's true. I didn't even know that. I really didn't even know that. Why didn't you tell us that? I felt like it was just, it, it, it was better left unsaid. Buzz Killington and Ferrario, Monday through Friday, 11 to 2 here on 101 ESPN. Right here on 101 ESPN. Boom. Coming up next, speaking of Buzz Killington, it <laughs> sounds like the Cardinals have given serious consideration to somebody as their leadoff hitter. You're probably not going to be surprised who it is and why it makes me unhappy. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. Matt Carpenter will go into spring training. They're not going to want to discuss any other options. He's going to be the third baseman, no question. They're going to maintain that through April, May. It doesn't matter how he's hitting. At some point in May, if he's not hitting, they'll reevaluate it. But I just think that by the end of the year, He'll get enough at best. The only way he wouldn't to me is if he's not on the roster by the end of the season. With tinfoil Ferrario, I'm Buzzkill BK. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The new midday shows. Yeah, welcome to middays right here on 101 ESPN. You can hear us weekdays from 11 to 2 o'clock. So that was Mark Saxon, who was in with me last week as we filled in for Alex Ferrario. And he was talking about Matt Carpenter and how the Cardinals are very likely to give him every opportunity to win the third base job. And then... After that, one Cardinals insider told me that. Yesterday, I was reading another Cardinals insider by the name of Derek Gould. He's very good at his job. And in his questions and answers column that he did yesterday, somebody asked him about who's going to bat leadoff for the Cardinals next year. Said, if there's an improvement from uh, the Cardinals offense, excuse me, this is the wrong quote. Uh, Here it is. There isn't an option that stands out for the Cardinals batting leadoff, and that's only the beginning of the questions for their offense and the lineup. There has been some internal discussion about returning Matt Carpenter to the leadoff spot. There has always been an idea that perhaps Tommy Edmond moved moved there as Colton Wong did. There isn't an obvious answer, 
and that should be a concern for the Cardinals, end quote. Again, that came from Derek Gould, the Cardinals beat writer for the St. Louis Your insides have to be turning right now reading that. I am absolutely convinced at this point that (laughs) barring something surprising, the Cardinals will go into the year with Matt Carpenter as their starting third baseman, and he's going to bat lead off for them. I don't know how, if you are somebody in the Cardinals front office, you can honestly look at that and say to yourself, this is a team that can compete. Now, they could, they will probably still be the favorites. It's going to say they can compete in the NL Central. They can probably still win the NL Central with Matt Carpenter being your leadoff hitter and starting third baseman going into the season. That does not mean they're actually competing because the NL Central next year is a fraud. It would be like if you were in a class and every person in that class was expecting to get a D. Like, they go into it and they're like, if I can pass, I have been successful. Sounds and like if, my college career. Yeah, if you <laughs> if you get a C-, minus, the curve is on you, right? right? You're the one that got the 70% in yeah. the class. You're the jerk that ruined it for everyone. Which is not good, objectively, <laughs> but you did have the best grade in the class, and so the curve is on you, right? Right. That's where the Cardinals are at. The Cardinals are setting the curve for a class that is expecting to fail next year. In fact, they are going into it hoping to fail next year. So that's where the Cardinals are, and they're going to convince themselves that they're better than they actually are most likely because they are competing in a bad division, and they're going to do so at least right now with what appears to be Matt Carpenter as their leadoff hitter, which is absolutely crazy. I understand that you think it's crazy, to me, there are two other options that would work there. And I think Matt Carpenter's the better of those other two. You could put Tommy Edmond there, but let's be honest. If Tommy Edmond is Tommy Edmond two years ago and not this past year because, well, the pandemic really didn't work for anybody uh, in a short Major League Baseball season. But if Tommy Edmond can be a contact hitter, somebody who gets on base, I want Tommy Edmond hitting second if Dylan Carlson's not hitting second. I want Tommy Edmond to be somewhere to strengthen that batting order rather than use him in the leadoff spot and then struggle elsewhere the only re Dexter Fowler would be the other one because he's got a history of hitting leadoff but you don't know if Dexter Fowler is going to be in there every day we think he is but from everything we're being told Tyler O'Neill is going to get a lot of opportunities this season as well and if there's no DH how does that play out if Matt Carpenter is in your batting order Matt Carpenter's track record which I know you look at the track record I see you smirking at me BK his track record of his career not this past two seasons, because yes, that's what have you done for me lately? I understand. Seems that should relevant. Be, it does seem relevant. But from a Cardinals perspective, if we are playing this guy and his overall career numbers are better in the leadoff spot, and we have one more year of Matt Carpenter that we have to get something out of, we have to squeeze this lemon as hard as we can this season. I'm putting him in the leadoff spot because he has not flourished anywhere else in this batting order other than leadoff. Yeah, but you're just, it's already a sunk cost, and now you're trying to get more out of it than you should. You, in fact, you are putting more, you're putting more of your lemons, if you will, to keep with your analogy, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're doubling down on that lemonade as opposed to going out there and finding another brand that you can buy that would potentially be better. Like, you're continuing to make it at home when you know this is a bad idea for you. It doesn't taste good. It's more expensive to make it that way than just to go get the Minute Maid down at the local gr- grocery store and go into Schnucks, right? But you're stuck with that crappy lemonade. Like, you're stuck with that expensive lemonade that you don't like. And what's the point? Are you going to throw that lemonade away or are you going to drink it and just finish it? Well, the problem is the Cardinals are buying 
trying more of it. The Cardinals are like, no, please, we want to continue trying. We believe that if we change up the recipe a little bit this next time, it's probably going to be better. The Cardinals are adding a little bit more sugar, and they're just saying, you know what? At least we'll get a sugar high this time around. <laughs> it might not taste good, but at least it has a ton of sugar in it. I know that people are going to say, yeah, but look at Matt Carpenter's on-base percentage. Maybe that's why they're looking that way, right? Because if you do have a leadoff hitter, the number one thing that you want from him, it's why Colton Wong was up there, is to get on base consistently. The problem is Matt Carpenter hasn't done that the last two years. And I know we just kind of glossed over the whole, yes, what have you done for me recently? Right. Matt Carpenter's on-base percentage over the last two seasons is 332. Here's a brief list of Cardinals who had a better on-base percentage over that time. Paul Goldschmidt, Colton Long, Brad Miller, Dexter Fowler, Jose Martinez, and Tommy Edmond. In fact, his 332 on-base percentage over the last two years, Matt Carpenter's, is only 10 points better than Harrison Bader's. I would rather Harrison Bader lead off for this team than Matt Carpenter. At least then I've got speed. Yeah. If you get Matt Carpenter on and it's whatever, an extra every hundred times that he comes up to the plate, he gets on an extra 10 times. Well, that's not helping me all that much. Mm-hmm. And especially when you've got a guy like Harrison Bader, who at least can get to third on a single Matt Carpenter's running station to station. You have to have three straight singles to be able to bring him in. Otherwise there's no way he's going to get in. There's no over RBI opportunities. So for me, he is one of the last guys that I would want to see in that leadoff spot going into next year. I, I understand that it is a top spot for the Cardinals. They've got a ton of money invested in him, and they want to see him succeed. That's fine. Bat him eighth. If he has to be your starting third baseman, which I would argue against that as well, but if he has to be your starting third baseman for you, and it sounds like that's going to be the case, put him at the bottom of the lead off, or bottom of the batting order, so that way you're you're masking that deficiency as opposed to trying to exploit exploit it even more than it already would be. What I feel like should happen this season with a leadoff spot, and again, I don't think this would happen, and maybe this shouldn't happen, but I feel like it should. It should be a revolving door this season in the leadoff spot. Like I think everyone on this roster should get a shot, other than guys like Paul Goldschmidt or Paul DeYoung. But I think everybody should get a shot at that leadoff spot because you need to know who your leadoff guy is going to be moving forward, right? If this is the gap year that we're all talking about, it's going to be in 2022 and a pipe dream is going to be that shortstop market and the Cardinals are going to take that next step. Well, you got to find a leadoff hitter. Is Dylan Carlson a leadoff hitter? Because maybe you should give him a shot. I heard Brian Walton talk about it with Danny Mack last week. I like to see him in the two-hole because I think he's a pure hitter and I think he could flourish in that two-hole. But is Dylan Carlson a leadoff hitter? Could Tyler O'Neill be a leadoff hitter? You know who is? Just bring back Holton Long. Like yeah. all, all of this leads to one very simple answer, right? What's the issue that we've been looking at? It's the leadoff spot. Yep. What do they need more of? They need more speed and defense. What has been their identity over the last few years when they've been successful? It's been the defense. Well, move Tommy Edmond to third, put Colton Wong at second. Is it going to get people excited? No, but at least you have a better team going into next year that right. way. I don't think they're going to do that. I because don't Matt Carpenter's making that 18 and a half. You still have that crappy lemonade that's expensive sitting in your fridge. That's what Matt Carpenter is. And I'm by no means that sounds bad. Like I'm calling Matt Carpenter crappy. He's not. But like he's he, that he's hit poorly over the yes, last few years. He's though. that product that's sitting there that you don't want to use, but you have to use because it's costing you 18 and a half million dollars for one more season. And if he gives you the production offensively that a Colton Wong or a Tommy Edmond provides you, 
then it's the it's the route to go, which is why I feel like Colt Wong still is a pipe dream like everything else seems to be for the Cardinals. Yeah, they're not going to do that. And 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. I made a bad uh, math point on the uh, the whole getting on base thing. Buzz From Killington? the 314, 10 points uh, is 10 times in 1,000, not... 10 times and 100 at-bats. My bad. Okay, look, we don't do math Math here. on the fly was a yeah. terrible idea by me. That's 100% <laughs> my fault for going down, down that path. The point is, very simply, though, Matt Carpenter is not good enough, and he is not making enough money. I know it's a lot, $18 million, a ton of money, and it's easy for me to say this, but he's not making $30 million. He's not under contract for, like, the next five years. Mm-hmm. And if that is going to be the case, if that's where the Cardinals are right now, and it is, you either have to make it make it as bearable as possible, which means giving him the fewest opportunities to hit as possible, which would be at the bottom of the order, not the top of the order, or you need to go out there and get somebody who makes him expendable. You need to go out there and find somebody on the open market. I don't at this point much care who it is. Somebody that is a solid major league player that can hit well at third base and can play solid defense. And if you can get that guy in here, or if it's somebody internally like Edmundo Sosa or Montero or even Nolan Gorman, who we're going to talk about a little bit later today, whoever it may be, you've got to have another option. You can't go into the season feeling like this is your only option as a leadoff hitter, a third baseman, and somebody that's going to get everyday opportunities. That that can't that is not a plan. Hope is not a plan. And it sounds like right now the Cardinals are hoping that Matt Carpenter is good, which would give them a plan at third base and as a leadoff hitter. Hope isn't a plan. And it seems like that's all the Cardinals are doing with Matt Carpenter right now. You're trying to make a plan, though, in a crappy NL Central that is going to be an easy win for the Cardinals with this roster. And, I mean, I think that's that's why they're going off of hope Matt Carpenter turns into it. At least, from my opinion, they look at this and say, okay, well, the Reds just got worse. Brewers are okay. They're there, but if Yelich isn't Yelich, then that's not going to be great. The Pirates are the Pirates, and then you got the Cubs to worry about. But they've just traded away a majority of their players. Matt Carpenter could be the piece that helps them win the NL Central. He's be- not. He might be. He's not because this NL Central could be attained with eighty-five wins. He can be a piece that is on the team while they win the NL Central. Him being a piece as to being the reason. Why they win in the oh, NL yeah. Central? That's not going to be the case this yeah, year. Yeah, that's true. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. In other words, Tin Foil and Buzz Killington. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, our guy Jeremy Rutherford is going to join us in the new ENB Granite Studios out here at the Centene Community Ice Center. He's been here for each and every one of the Blues' first practices this season. We'll talk to him about what he's seen so far, some of his early observations when he joins us in studio next on 101 ESPN. This is 101 ESPN, broadcasting live from the Centene Community Ice Center inside the ENB Granite Studio. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Normally, we would be going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our guy Jeremy Rutherford. Instead, the Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic is joining us here live from the new E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. JR, what's up, man? Not too much. How are you guys doing? It's hockey season. Our guy Alex Ferrario is thrilled. He compared earlier today Mike Hoffman and Robert Thomas to Hull and Oates. Yep. So he is he is very excited to watch hockey again. 
JR, what is it like for you? You've been doing this for, what, 20 years now at this point covering hockey. What is it like for you to be able to finally be back at the Centene Community Ice Center watching live hockey in person again? DK, it's amazing. And we've known and, and hoped for a couple weeks that this would be the case, that they'd be able to start the season and we'd come out here for a training camp. Uh, but until you get out here, until you see the guys you haven't seen since last March, basically, uh, and until you get to a situation where you're, you're watching the team on the ice and, and you're tweeting, we were just talking about this off air, you know, I think a lot of people are at home quarantining, at least trying to stay inside. And the past couple of days, whenever you tweet out anything, a story, a line combination, it just gets traction and takes off. And so I feel like this uh, renewed interest in providing that information to people uh, because they're excited about this Blues team. This is a different team, as you guys well know. Different looking, different feel, different everything. Still, there's, you know, same core guys with the O'Reillys and the Shins and the Schwartzes and, and those guys. But new faces, and, and this is going to be a fun season to cover. Yeah, because they got two guys that look like they could be hauling oats on the ice when they're <laughs> out there, and Thomas and Hoffman. Now, I don't think that's your fault. I think that that's the board ops' fault for not telling you that the mic was that's hot. That's true. Like, that's if, very if true. you want to talk about that stuff in the studio amongst us, but to say it, you didn't know it was going No, yeah, that air. was Tanner's yeah. fault that he had me on the air. And yeah. frankly, it's Dan's fault too for asking me that question. Yeah. He should have asked me something else. Especially right. like five minutes after you got off the ice. Yeah, you you were fresh into it. Of I was, like, I was hyped. Everything was coming back to you. All the juices were flowing. Yeah. He was excited. It was like Blues hockey is finally returning, and you've got this high. And Ferrario goes on with Dan, and Dan asks him what it's like to watch Blues hockey again. He's like, listen, I just saw the reincarnation of Hall and Oates. <laughs> I just saw two he Hall of Famers that are on the ice right now. But you hit it, though, Jar, and I think that's where my excitement and energy came from, is watching these guys and knowing how many people are starved for hockey right now. Well, look, we've seen how many people are frustrated by the schedule of playing in the West and having these 9 o'clock starts and frustrated. And even though the schedule has come out, there are people still frustrated because they want this hockey. And I think that's where this extra energy comes from. It's because all of these people want more Blues hockey right now, and it's something that we haven't had since before the Cup. It, it never really felt like this, right? Like, hockey was always number two to the Cardinals for such a long time, but right now, these last three years, feel like hockey is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Well, you're exactly right. And listen, you know, I've been in media in St. Louis for 20-plus years, and you know, I'm a Cardinal fan. I go to a lot of games, yeah. and, and this isn't meant uh, to be directed – at the Cardinals, but for years, you know, we would get phone calls and emails saying, "Hey, you know, let's let's improve the Blues coverage in terms of uh, putting it above the fold on the newspaper. How come the Blues can't get the headline every day? It's always the Cardinals, the Cardinals, the Cardinals." Well, it was because the Cardinals were making a lot of significant moves and, of course, winning. Now it's a situation where the Blues are coming off a cup. And now every time the Blues need a player, Doug Armstrong goes out and gets it. The guy that you're hoping that they'll get all of a sudden shows up on the ice. And so I think that creates excitement. It creates a belief in what Doug and the team, the ownership, are doing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when you're able to come out and sit in the bleachers and watch Robert Thomas pass it to Brett Hall, I mean uh, Hoffman. Then, Damn right. Uh, <laughs> Damn right. Then I think uh, that, that's what it leads to. Yeah. So Blues are doing everything right. Had a great offseason, and uh, it's exciting to be here. Jeremy Rutherford joining us here in the new E&B Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center. We're live covering the second day now of Blues training camp. We'll be out here again tomorrow from 11 to 2 right here on 101 ESPN. All right. I think everybody wants to know, listen, we've had our fun with the Hall and Oates comparison, but like Mike Hoffman is a really exciting guy to be able to watch out there. So is Tori Krug. What what have you seen so far from the new guys that are trying to get themselves involved? What's what have you seen the first day and a half or so? I know it's early, but what have you seen from them? Yeah, we'll get a, a better look tomorrow night when they have a scrimmage game. 
Uh, but uh, first couple days of practice, a lot of drills. I mean, you do see some line rushes. Uh, we talked to Mike Hoffman yesterday and asked him about the chemistry with those two guys, uh, Thomas and uh, Schwartz. You know, he said it's going to take some time. You can stick around after practice and work on whatever you want to, but it's going to take time for that chemistry to be there. You know, I do think about that combination, and I know we're joking about Hall & Oates, but to me, Robert Thomas, in three or four years, we're going to be talking about what an incredible passer this guy is. He already, he's, he's already there. I mean, he's already making unbelievable plays, but I just think that that's going to be his game. He can dish. Mike Hoffman, he takes a pass, doesn't blink, it's in the back of the net. Great shot, release, everything. That's what Doug Armstrong said yesterday, what he likes the most about Mike Hoffman. So I think we're going to see that in due time. Have we seen it yet? No, uh, but but I think that's coming. And then with Tory Krug, you know, I got to say first impression is a good one, uh, but to see him standing next to Colton Preco, <laughs> Five foot nine and, and six foot six, uh, quite a drastic difference between those two. But like Tory Krug said in the Zoom call, uh, BK, yesterday, he said that everything Colton Pareko does takes up a lot of ice, gets the puck out of the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, t- he, he, he takes up a lot of room. Those are all things that's going to help those two as a pair. And Tory Krug said he can't wait to take advantage of what. Colton Pareko brings to the team. Yeah, I got to imagine for Tory Krug, it's probably nice because he's not having to look up as high with Colt Pareko as he was doing with Zdeno Char, who's like what seven foot three when he's on skates on the ice. Speaking of Krug, the one thing that I didn't over exaggerate with was what I was talking with Dan earlier was Tory Krug's game, and just from the practice that I've seen today, and there's going to be more of it. But this guy creates shots on net, and that's something that the Blues have struggled with in the past, of putting shots on net and actually hitting the net. And I was just watching Krug at the beginning of this skate. He was making these shots that are those low ones off of the ice that creates a lot of deflections. And, Jr. that's something the Blues haven't had for a while because they got guys like Petrangelo who have the heavy shot or Colton Pareko who have the heavy shot. But if you go back and look at that cup run, like Carl Gunnarsson's goal, that was those low shots, right? That's what Tory Krug brings, and, and that's what I'm a little excited about because that offense from the blue line right now with Krug and Falk and Dunn and Pareko, I mean, that's something that the Blues haven't had in a really long time at depth with offense on the D side. Yeah, it's a good observation, and, you know, I wouldn't compare it to, like, a Shattenkirk. Uh, Krug's shot is a lot harder than Shattenkirk. Uh, Shattenkirk used to always have, like, the seeing eye shot that somehow found the pack, back of the net. Yeah. Where, where Krug, you know, his shot is harder. Uh, but uh, it does create a lot of rebounds, and it is, you know, lower to the ground. Uh, you know, Petrangelo, you know, he, he created a lot of shots, and he put a lot of shots on net, and over time his shot got better. But I don't think it was like Tory Krug's, like you're saying, uh, where, where they're coming at you, it's hitting the goalie, it's bouncing off, you have a Braden Shannon, Jane Schwartz in front, and you can score off it. So yeah. I do think that's something to monitor, to watch moving forward, is, is how the Blues can create offense off that Tory Krug shot. The big news over the last few weeks was the Vladimir Tarasenko comments, uh, reported comments to Russian media about him being disappointed that he wasn't named the captain. Of course, we've talked about that ad nauseum at this point. We're all on the same page. Not a huge deal. Ryan O'Reilly addressed it yesterday, JR, and I thought he did a really good job in doing so. He basically said, like, listen, it's not a problem. We, we're, we don't even need to talk about it. I'm sure he was upset. Maybe he was caught off guard in a bad moment. It makes sense that he was upset. He wanted to be the captain. I totally understand that, but that's not even an issue inside of this locker room. What do you think of the way that Ryan O'Reilly handled that? And for me, I heard it, and I was like, 
That's why he's the captain. Yeah. That, that, that exact comment right there, his ability to diffuse the situation with one quick quote, that's why he's the captain. What do you think about that? Well, I think he handled it very well, and I'll go back even further. I think the Blues have handled it as best as they could. Uh, we all knew that uh, Ryan O'Reilly was probably going to be the next captain. Uh, Doug Armstrong made a uh, personal gesture, wanted to tell Vladimir Tarasenko in person that he was going to name Ryan O'Reilly uh, the captain. And, uh, you know, whether he was able to follow through on that, you know, I'm not quite sure. But I do know that he did want to tell Vladimir Tarasenko in person because he felt like he owed it to him. And he knows how much that it meant to uh, Vladimir Tarasenko to, to have the C mm -hmm. and then now it, it going to Ryan O'Reilly. So the question uh, Ben Fredrickson asked, and, and I thought uh, – that uh, Ryan O'Reilly handled it perfectly. You know, a lot of guys in that situation, BK, would say, you know what, I didn't see it. Uh, you know, if I see what he said, maybe I could comment. You know, just kind of play it off a little bit. But Ryan O'Reilly obviously had heard or read the comments. And, and he said that, uh, hey, look, let's, this is something that uh, means a lot to the guy. So I'm sure there's a little bit of frustration here. But uh, we need to come together as a team. Right now, we're worried about playing hockey. And right now, Vladimir Tarasenko is, is working to get healthy. So it's a situation where he, he, he did his best to make it a non-story. But I think he handled it in, in a pretty good manner. You know, with, with Tarasenko's absence, at least for the first month of the season, Jr. you know, even with Mike Hoffman on this roster, Jordan Kyrie is going to get the shot of all shots of making this club. We saw him yesterday skating on that third line with Sanford and Bozak. I know it's only been one day of practice, and we'll see him uh, once they hit the ice at about 1130 but uh, do you feel like there's a little bit of an extra step right now in Jordan Kyrou's game he him knowing that this is pro probably one of his last shots to really make this NHL club yeah and he, you know he's still young what is he 22 yeah um and, and I think yesterday watching him Alex uh he was flying and he was finishing plays too that's a big thing you know you saw that speed earlier in his career uh, but if you can't make anything out of it, then it doesn't mean much. So eventually he's going to have to turn that speed into some playmaking ability. And I thought he was doing that yesterday. You know, so still a young guy. I think he still has some time. But the chance is there now. So if you don't take it now, then you get buried on the depth chart. I honestly am surprised that they're opening up camp with him right wing on that third line. I thought that would be Sammy Blay's spot. Yeah. They're obviously showing a lot of confidence in Jordan saying, look, it's there if you take it. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. They're going to work Blay into the lineup somehow. He brings a lot. But I think that is a, a good way to show Jordan Cairo that we believe in you. And, you know, just one, two days of practice, yeah. I think he looks pretty good. But there's just a, a long way to go with him like he's going to have to show it in stretches he's going to have to to play defense he's going to have to show an awareness uh of his all-around game mm -hmm. and, and i don't know that that's there yet and it's too early to see right now last question that i've got for you jr we're talking with jeremy rutherford blues insider for 101 espn and the athletic give him a follow on twitter he tweets out all his stories there at jp rutherford had a really good one with more extended thoughts on the first day of blues camp it's up on the athletic right now I saw the line combinations yesterday that you tweeted out. Basically, you're looking at Schwartz, Thomas Hoffman, Shin, Ryan O'Reilly, Perron as your top six forwards right now, if you will. Do you think that's pretty much set in stone at this point? But like, Obviously, until Vladimir Tarasenko gets back, that'll throw a wrench into things. But as of today, do you think those, in some order, some fashion, those are your top six forwards going into the season? I like them, and I think they might start opening night, but I just wouldn't take them to the bank. I think that you got a couple issues here. You have Schwartz. Thomas and Mike Hoffman and uh, you know who's going to take the face-offs I think eventually Thomas will get to a point where he's proficient at that right now though career-wise 43 percent for Robert Thomas Mike Hoffman uh, last year 35 percent mm. Schwartz doesn't take face-offs um, you know so who's going to be the guy on that line and I just talked to Bernie Federico about that for a minute and he said that that'll come with Thomas like give him some time uh, he'll, he'll be okay but the other thing is 
you know, defensively, uh, Thomas is pretty good. We all know that Schwartz is good. Hoffman lacks a little bit in that area. I really thought that we'd see Hoffman on the left side with Ryan O'Reilly, just because we all know how uh, responsible Ryan O'Reilly is. But they're going to give this a look, you know, early. So, so we'll see. But I think. Uh, uh, defensively and, and then face-offs are my two questions about that line. I think your your story that you posted, your questions that you uh, gave to Craig Berube was the first time that I saw um, him talk about Hoffman liking the offside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he would potentially be on the right side, not the left, that was the first time that I really even considered it um, was over on The Athletic. Do you think, I mean, if, if the face-offs are an issue, is it as simple as maybe just switching Schwartz and Chin then? Like, do you yeah, just put yeah. Shen back up, and he can play the left wing, and then just go into the center whenever the faceoffs are there? For sure, they can do that. Yeah, and 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 you're right. You know, uh, Hoffman played some left and some right. Uh, he prefers the right, is is what uh, Craig Bruby told us in that article. Uh, so the versatility, the flexibility for Craig Bruby to move him around is going to allow, allow the Blues to do a lot with those two top lines. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Check out all of his work over on the Athletic. Also, give him a follow on Twitter at JP Rutherford. We always appreciate his insights here on 101 ESPN. JR, all the best, man. Enjoy the rest of training camp. We'll talk with you again soon. You guys, too. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Rutherford live from the new E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. He's going to be out here covering Blues training camp up until the first game of the year next Wednesday. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. And we've got some breaking Mizzou recruiting news that we've got to get into that includes a St. Louis kid. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you're a Mizzou fan, you're going to want to listen up. Mookie Cooper was a four-star. I thought you about said Mookie Betts. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. No, very different. Okay. I don't know what that would have to do with Mizzou <laughs> I either. I don't either. Uh, Mookie Cooper last year was a four-star athlete. The number one. Think about this, Ferrario. Think about how many athletes there are in the country. There's a lot. The number one rated athlete in the country lived here in St. Louis. He went to Pattonville. Previously, I believe he was at Trinity beforehand, if I'm not mistaken. Um, went to Pattonville. Four-star athlete, the number 58 recruit in the country, committed to Ohio State. Things didn't go as planned this year at Ohio State for him. He decided to enter the transfer portal. He has officially, as of this morning, announced that he is going to transfer to Mizzou. Based on the rules, if I understand them correctly, and I believe that I do, he should be immediately eligible for Mizzou next year. And because of the weird season, everybody gets the extra year of eligibility. So basically... This year was essentially a redshirt freshman year for him, so he'll be a freshman again at Mizzou next year. So Mookie Cooper, last year's top 60 recruit in the country, number one overall athlete in the country, he's going to play receiver, that's expected, at Mizzou, is going to commit to Mizzou. He's going to be there next year. Uh, Another heck of a get for Eli Drinkwitz. It's not technically a recruiting victory, if you will, but a huge transfer coming in from the St. Louis area. How the hell are you a number one athlete in all of the country, but you're a number 60 recruit in all of the country? Well, you know how the the positional things go, right? Like Basically, him being an athlete meant they don't know where he's going to play. He could play play receiver, could be running back, could be on the defensive side of the ball. It just depends what the college coaches want. Most of them saw him as a receiver, and that's where he played last year at Ohio State. Okay, let me ask you this then, because I'm already excited just hearing it. Is this DGB no, level excitement? No, no. He, he's he's a very good player. Um, it, it, 
not surprising given what I just said about him being an athlete. An unbelievable athlete. Like, if you're a Mizzou fan, think Jalen Knox, but a little better. Oh, like, nice. supercharged yep. Jalen Knox. Um, I think he's going to be a little better than, than Knox, but that's kind of what he projects to be. Slot receiver, punt returner, those sorts of things. So, a really nice player to have. 5'10", uh, pretty bulky yep. kid, really strong, Man. really fast. He, he's, a, he's a heck of a player, and this is a huge recruiting get once again for Eli Drinkwitz. Man, I've just been watching all of these you know, seniors that have committed to coming back for one yep. more year and talking about Eli and talking about kind of the conversations he's had. This guy has done an incredible job, more than what I think we expected. We expected him to be great, but what he is doing is going to another level. I mean, he is he is taking that, that need and desire for football in St. Louis – and he's putting it back on the map. And I know it's in Columbia, but St. Louis is jumping on board with the Missouri Tigers. So props to you, Eli Drinkwitz, for what you're doing, man. That's incredible. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. All right. So we haven't talked about this yet, Ferrario, but we need to. Okay. There is a COVID outbreak that is taking place in Cleveland right now with the Cleveland Browns. Their head coach, me. Kevin Stefanski, has officially tested positive. Their Brown, uh, The Browns special teams coordinator, Mike Pryfer, uh, is going to serve as their acting head coach this weekend in their playoff game against the Steelers. They are also expected to be without one of their starting offensive linemen, who was one of their best offensive linemen. Are we just are we going to see this moving forward in the postseason? Because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be without their star linebacker, Devin White, because of COVID issues. Now the Browns without their head coach and a starting offensive lineman. Should we just be expecting this moving forward since the NFL is not doing any sort of bubble? So they tested positive today means they're they're, they're out they're for Saturday. Out. There's no seven, chance that they can play. It's 10 days, mm -hmm. correct, that they have to go through with the negative tests? So they could be back for next week if they make it to the divisional round. If the Browns are able to then win this weekend, back. beat the Steelers, then they could come back for the divisional round. But for this, there's no chance that they can play on Saturday. This is just the NFL sweeping as much under the rug as possible. And, and this is another example of it because what we just had Alvin Kamara last week come down with COVID and they weren't sure if he was going to be available, excuse me, for, for this weekend. And now he is, of course, but the, we've done this all season. And I think because it's the regular season and it's been 17 games, I think at least people have looked at it and said, okay, you know, this was expected. But now when you get into postseason play and it affects the outcomes of the game, that's when things are going to be really monumental for the NFL. Because, look, Major League Baseball made it through the postseason with one positive test, and it was the last day. You're getting a positive test of two people that are impacting the game already, and you haven't even hit the first round of postseason play yet. This is going to be a problem all the way up to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm stunned that the NFL didn't decide to go with some sort of bubble for the postseason. Yeah. Even if it was an optional, um, quote-unquote, voluntary, you know, kind of like voluntary workouts, how they're kind of <laughs> voluntary, yeah. bubble around their local but see uh, facilities. Yeah, we'll see you there, and you can stay in this hotel. We'll get everything set up for you guys. We're going to pay the employees to be able to stay there, whatever. Make it so that it is... There are as few variables as possible that enter the mix going into the postseason because these are the games that you played the other 256 games for. The entire season was to get here. They wanted to get to this spot. And now they're here, and you're having these COVID situations pop up. It's, it's not 
an if, but a when this is going to happen again. Right now, it's just a head coach and an offensive lineman. It very well could hit somebody's quarterback room at some point in the postseason. We could see a Broncos situation, but instead of being a meaningless, whatever, week 12 game, it's going to be a Sunday night AFC championship game or a Saturday night divisional round game. And that's a nightmare scenario for the NFL. What happens if it's the AFC championship game and it hits the wide receiver room for the Kansas City Chiefs? You you bite that tongue, sir. I just I'm just saying like it's a hypothetical world, right? We're putting it out there. Oh, I just did that to Kansas City, did I? It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare oh. scenario. Uh, sorry. Last thing that I wanted to get to get into for questions and answers, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tech. Kyle Sanders went on WIP radio up in Philadelphia, and he was asked about Jalen Hurts sitting in the fourth quarter uh, for the Eagles. He said, quote, man, if I'm being honest, nobody likes the decision. Nobody. That's all I can really say. I don't know who is the main person behind that decision. All I know is that a lot of people on the team were confused. End quote again. That was Miles Sanders, the starting running back for the Eagles, who sat out in that game, injured, um, on the decision to sit Jalen Hurts. After seeing some more reporting on this, Ferrario, I don't know how the Eagles bring back Doug Peterson. I think he's lost the locker room. I think that decision on Sunday in the fourth quarter of a game that they felt like they could win, and they should have because they were down by three points when the decision was made to sit Jalen Hurts. I think he lost the uh, the locker room in that moment, and I don't think there's any way he can recover from that. Well, there's no question he lost the locker room. You lost your quarterbacks already because Jalen Hurts was the guy who was running it for you, and if he was going to be the guy next year, well, you lost him because you pulled him out of a game that was meaningful for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you lost your offensive line. Did Everyone saw Jason Kelsey's reaction to— yeah, he was furious. I mean, you lost your offensive line. You lost your receivers and your running back, your, your weapons now, hearing Miles Sanders talk. There's no possible way you can just run Doug Peterson back out there and say you're our head coach going into next season because there's no faith in the guy. There's no trust in the guy. In in a in a 17-week season, you got to have the most trust in your coaching staff. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone in the next couple of weeks because I think you have to get rid of him. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Do we know it was the coach and not ownership or management who made that decision? Uh, it, could, it very well could have been management who told Doug Peterson going into the week, hey, we want to see you play this guy in the fourth quarter, right? As a coach, you have an obligation to coach your team to victory. Right. And if it was a blowout in the fourth quarter, I don't think anybody would have had any issue with them putting in Sudfeld. Nobody. Everybody would have been like, you know what? All right, Jalen Hurts is your future. You don't want to get him hurt. We totally understand that. They were down by three points when they made that decision. That's what made this uh, something that ultimately ended up getting the attention that it did. Yeah. But that that was my issue. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, I want to hear from you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Nolan Gorman is a guy that we've heard a lot about as a potential trade candidate over the last few years for the Cardinals. What if that was the end? Or excuse me, Joey Gallo was the trade candidate that we've heard so much about over the last few years. What if that is what Nolan Gorman became a player very similar to Joey Gallo. Would that be good enough? We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We are back to BK and Ferrario, live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center for Blues Training Camp on 101 ESPN. He 
He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's 12.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So yesterday, Ferrario, I was reading an article over on MLB.com, and they mentioned an interesting trade candidate that we really don't discuss very often. Okay. His name's Joe Gallo. Plays outfield for the Texas Rangers. Hit 40 home runs in back-to-back seasons in 17 and 18. Made an all-star game in 2019 before ultimately getting injured at the end of that season. Struggled last year, but, I mean, so did half the rest of the league. That typically hits well. He's a guy that leans on video, therefore didn't have a whole lot of success last season. So, this is a true power hitter. He is a guy that is all or nothing. He's the typical three-outcome player, right? Strikes out 30-plus percent of the time. Hits 40-plus bombs in a, in a given year, but is going to hit like 210 any given year. And is going to get on base at a pretty high clip as well. He's, he's going to walk 10, 15% of the time, so you like that about him. First of all, let's start with this. Would you be interested, interested rather, in the Cardinals going out and making a trade for a guy like um, Joey Gallo? Would that be somebody that you think makes sense for this Cardinals team? Is there a DH? Let's let's operate under the assumption that, that there is because I'm still I still believe there yeah. will be at some point. Then yes, I would say this is worth a trade because I don't know if you're going to have to give up the farm to get Joey Gallo. And you've talked about a name JD Martinez a lot in the past, and mm-hmm. that's an older player who still hits an awful lot of home runs. I think Joey Gallo might be just as good as J.D. Martinez because he does walk. He can provide defense if you need him to, but he's going to give you 40-plus bombs a year on a normal season. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think in a heartbeat right now where we sit, where we we need an upgrade in that batting order, Joey Gallo would be a piece I'd go out there and get right right away. So, for me, I'm out. I'm out on Joey Gallo. So you're out on home runs. I, I'm out on Joey Gallo. You want to stick with Matt Carpenter? I want to stick with Tyler O'Neill. Oh, jeez. I don't think that the difference between those two is significant enough for me that I would go out and give assets to give Joey Gallo the opportunity that I think Tyler O'Neill could just as easily get, right? But Tyler O'Neill's been unable to prove he could hit that many in a season. Sure, sure. He also hasn't had the opportunity that we have seen from Joey Gallo. So Joey Gallo's first year as an everyday starter, he had 150 games and 530 plate appearances. 530 plate appearances in that first season as a major league player. In Tyler O'Neill's major league career, he has played in 170 games and has 450 plate appearances. He just hasn't had the same opportunity that Joey Gallo has. Now, that's not to say that Tyler O'Neill is going to be that. Yeah. I don't think that he is. I don't think he's ever going to hit 40 homers in any given season. But the Cardinals, I think, at one point believed that he potentially could. I think they thought he could be a 30-plus homer guy. Yeah, when he was in the minors. So I would rather see him out there patrolling the outfield this season without having to give up assets instead of a guy like Joey Gallo, who you'll have to give up assets for. But depending on the assets you'd have to give up, like if you're talking top prospects, then yeah, I'm not touching that. But if you're giving mid-level guys that might not make the club to get him, which if Texas is trying to cut salary, and I don't know what the contract situation he's looks got like. two years left. He's in the last two years of arbitration. How many years or how much per About year? About five and a half this year. And we'll see how next year depends on how he plays. Yeah, so I guess that might handcuff. I don't know. If you have a DH, I think he's the perfect player for your DH position because Tyler O'Neill is going to be getting time in the field he's not going to be DHing all season you're right I think Joey Gallo would play a very similar role though to what Tyler O'Neill is he is an athletic guy he can play in the outfield he's played corner infield before in his past as well he's pretty athletic he walks a lot more than Tyler O'Neill does he's a better player I'm not trying to I want to be very clear here I 
I think Joey Gallo right now is a, a quite a bit better. It's just the future aspects of Tyler O'Neill and the cost control of Tyler. O'Neal. Right, and you yeah. want to know. You want to know if you're giving up on an asset that is ultimately going to go elsewhere and do what Luke Voigt, for instance, right. did to the Cardinals previously. And is that a little bit of paralysis by analysis? Probably, but the Cardinals got themselves here because they made too many bad decisions with guys like um, Luke Voigt and then Randy Rosarena, what we saw last year. Yeah. Now, the secondary point on this, we talked about this with Dylan Carlson, right? We asked the question, would it be enough for Dylan Carlson to end up being a Tommy Pham-esque player? And the vast majority of our audience said, no, that is not good enough. He needs to be better than that for him to be deemed a success. What about for Nolan Gorman? Because I've heard, I think Cardinals fans are really excited about this guy, and I get it. He's somebody that they really haven't had in their system as a first-round pick. He's a true power hitter. He projects to hit 30-plus homers in a year. But he also strikes out a ton. And he is a guy that is a high-level prospect. He's young for where he's at. And so you don't know how much are the strikeouts because he's really young and behind the age curve, or is it because it's just what he's going to be as a player? Joey Gallo had a very similar profile. And he ended up being a top 10 prospect in baseball in 2015 and 2016. Like, an all of baseball. Not in the Ranger system, in all of baseball. For you, Ferrario, by the way, just for some more perspective, Gallo hit 212, but, like I said, back-to-back 40-plus seasons. He hits an average of 25 doubles and 44 homers per year. Would that be good enough for you, for Nolan Gorman? Would that be a difference maker in the lineup, the way that we are expecting Nolan Gorman to be? Boy, my... uh... My initial reaction is no, uh, because the way that, and by no mistake have the Cardinals done this. I don't think the Cardinals have sold Nolan Gorman like they've sold Dylan Carlson. We've done this with Dylan Carlson, right? Like if he doesn't turn out to be Albert Pujols, that's a failure on their part. They haven't sold that with Nolan Gorman. You don't think they have? I don't feel like they've sold him to that level. They've sold him as he's going to be a major league baseball player who hits home runs, but they haven't sold him as a savior like they've sold Dylan Carlson. But... 40-plus home runs, yes, in a heartbeat. If that's what you told me, I would love that. The 212 is what bothers me because that's a Matt Carpenter in my opinion, right? Like maybe a little bit better than Matt Carpenter at least these last couple of years, but if you're hitting around 200 and hitting 400 bombs, you better be consistent with those 40-plus home runs a season. It better not be a fluke where it's one year and then another year, and that's so hard to tell when it comes to power, right? You don't know if it's going to be there every year. So I don't think I'd be okay with that, you know? Like I I think the defense would have to be superb, which is not his strong strong point. And I mean, this guy was supposed to be a middle of the order bat, right? Like that's what he's supposed to be. And if he's not going to be that, which a 212 guy with 40 home runs, I don't know if he's a four-hole hitter for you. I think it should be deemed a success. I think this is the high end of what he can be. And so that's that's my concern when we have all these conversations about the Cardinals and how, hey, if you wait until I think it was BT who brought up, what was it, 2024 yeah. is kind of the target year. And I get where he's coming from on that. It makes a lot of sense. But when you when you talk about guys in this vein, the, the guys that are about to come through the system, there is a projection that has to take place of what can they be when they get here. And we talk about Gallo or excuse me, uh, Gorman. Mm-hmm. In the abstract. Okay, he's a power hitter. Okay, but what does that mean? Right. When he gets to the big leagues, when I actually watch that in the Cardinals lineup every day, what does that become for them? And what I think it becomes is something pretty similar to Tyler O'Neill, where it's really frustrating to watch. Randall Gritchick pro- projected like this as well. Where it's frustrating to watch on a day-in, day-out basis because he's striking out a ton, and Cardinals fans are going to get frustrated by that. 
but he is hitting for power. And so do you live with the strikeouts to be able to get the power? I think the Cardinals will, but then the player that you get, you're hoping he becomes something like Joey Gallo, where he is making so much hard contact. He's hitting 40-plus bombs, where he's putting runs on the board. It almost makes up for it. The problem is, what if instead of hitting 40 home runs in a year, he hits 25 to 30 home runs in a year, and he's still batting 215, and he's getting on base at a 30% clip, so he's, his on-base percentage is around 300, and now instead of that 550 slugging percentage, now you're talking like 450. Yeah, That's not a guy that is a difference maker in your lineup. And so if the Cardinals right now are looking at Nolan Gorman as a future middle-of-the-order bat, he needs to be, if not Joey Gallo, potentially even better than Joey Gallo. And so this is why when I focus on next offseason, I bring up so many of the guys that can play middle infield because those guys have already proven they can be these middle-of-the-order bats. Right. We hope Gorman can become that. I'm still not convinced that he can. He's 20, 21 years old now. He's very young still. I get that. But his projection does not project to be this 300, 400, 500 Albert Pujols type of hitter. He's a guy that's going to strike out a lot. He's not going to get on base a ton, and that's that's pretty concerning for me. I, I would be concerned if this is ultimately the projection for him, and I do think it is. It's the same thing with Gorman that it is with Carlson, though. Like These guys are supposed to be the next cycle of players that deem you know, players that can transition into a World Series contender, right? Like It's what we've talked about. It's what the Dodgers did. It's what the Padres are doing with these younger players. That's what these players are supposed to turn into, and unless they turn into that – to where they're hitting three, four in your lineup, they're the reasons that you're making playoff runs. Then to me, it's always an un, it's unsuccessful, right? Like it's always going to be unsuccessful because if these prospects don't hit, then they're not turning out to be what you need to be. And frankly, you can't just be a home run power hitter in a Cardinals lineup. Like it's just not what the Cardinals do, especially now with Jeff Albert. Power is there, but you got to be able to hit and get on base. Like that's what they run with. That well, this this goes back to your question that you asked earlier in the offseason. Offseason, what is a Jeff Albert hitter? Because I don't think we have the answer to that question right. yet. It, it's possible this is, but a you're Jeff going Albert to, hitter, and you're going to learn what they are with Nolan Gorman because Jeff Albert is what we've learned from John Mazzei, like is implementing this through the minors. So whatever Gorman turns out to be. That's what your Jeff Albert system is going to be. So you better hope it's successful if this is what you're running with. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, Gallo hit 253 last year. Let's not pick out his lowest average and then throw that out there. Well, Joey Gallo, for his career, for his career, is a 208 hitter. His projections right now suggest that he'll be a 210 hitter next year and that he will hit about 40 homers, but. He's going to have an, uh, an OPS plus, which basically just takes their their OPS and, and adjusts it for a bunch of different park factors. They say he's going to be a league average hitter, 100. So that that's where they are with him right now for his projections. Also, another one from the 314. Guys, do you view Gallo and Gorman um, as you're projecting him as a core piece or a complementary piece? So when you're when you're kind of looking at those two guys, are they core pieces or complementary pieces? It's the latter. Yeah. If Nolan Gorman becomes Joey Gallo, that is not a Fernando Tatis Jr. That is no. not a Manny Machado. That is a complimentary piece that bats sixth in your lineup if you're a really good team. Yeah. And so that's that is why I think a guy like Gorman is so important looking at the future of what this team is, because if he projects to be something like that, a six hole hitter, seven hole hitter, something like that, that's just adding pop to your lineup, well then they are still, still 
missing that middle-of-the-order piece, and they don't have another guy in their system right now that in the immediate future projects to become and that. I don't think they got one on the way either. And so that's why I think it's going to be that much more important. If you're going to contend and sell that to the fan base, you better be in that shortstop market next year because if you're not, you don't have a savior on the way that's a 3-4 hitter in this lineup. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We're going to play a game of bet it or forget it coming up next, including will the Blues win the division and Robert Thomas over under 45 points for the upcoming year. We'll play a game of bet it or forget it coming up next on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. So we want to play a couple of quotes from Robert Thomas. He met with the media after the morning session, was able to talk about a couple of things that I found particularly interesting, and we'll play a game of bet it or forget it off of these. Again, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line if you want to throw in a few of your own. Let's start with Robert Thomas talking about how last year, Ferrario, mm-hmm. has this Blues team very motivated. We are definitely uh, definitely very hungry and motivated. You know, last year didn't go nearly the way we wanted it to. And, uh, you know, we want, we want to prove to everyone that, you know, we're still a top team and, and that we can compete for another cup this year. Uh, I think, yeah, a lot of guys coming in early that, you know, a lot of guys stayed throughout the summer as well. Uh, I think that kind of just shows, uh, you know, how motivated we are and, and how ready we are to get back on top. I can feel it right now. Ferrario's got goosebumps. Oh, yeah. We are live out here at the EMB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. We are covering training camp here on BK and Ferrario the next couple of days. Ferrario, bet it or forget it, after hearing that from Robert Thomas, after watching earlier today a combination with Thomas and Hoffman that you compared to Hull and Oates. Yep, damn right. Bet it or forget it, this Blues team's going to win their division. The, the, the Honda Pacific Division. The Honda Pacific West Division. Bet it 100%. I'm going to bet this. He's not wrong. Like, I would say about 75%, if I'm not mistaken, of these guys have been here, if not the entire offseason, a majority of this offseason skating kind of unofficial skates with these guys. They were pissed off when they got booted from that bubble. And what he said there, Robert Thomas saying, you know, we want to show people that we're still cup contenders because nobody's given them the respect they deserve and I mean I'm not saying this as a homer but I guess the energy might take over on that aspect but let's be honest if you watch the NHL network if you listen to TSN listen or watch TSN Ray Ferraro had the piece with Jeremy Rutherford talking about it everyone is picking Colorado Vegas and throwing in some black dark horses in there like a Nashville team or or pick your poison with it Nobody's looking at the Blues. They're looking at the Blues as the third or fourth best team right now in the West. And in my opinion, the addition of Mike Hoffman made them the best team in the West because Colorado basically has to do it. you got to prove it to me that you're better than us because they haven't done it the last couple of years, regardless of how many guys you've brought in. So I'm betting this, BK. They will win this West division, this Honda West division that we're calling it because these Blues... They're pissed off about what happened last year. See, I'm going to forget it. And oh not because God. I'm not, let me be clear here, not because I am not buying into what the Blues are, but because I think the Blues are going to be more focused on the postseason than a team like Colorado. Yeah. I think the Avalanche are going to do everything they can to have the best record in the Western Conference this year. I think they are going to be very, 
very focused mentally and physically on the regular season and doing everything they can to be there. Also, they have a goalie tandem that I trust a little bit more than what the Blues have right now. And I do think that's going to be really important given the, given the schedule. Nathan McKinnon had a very similar quote yesterday to what we just heard from Robert Thomas. He told the media, quote, our expectation is to win the cup, not just to scrap and claw our way into the playoffs. That's what we are here to do. Yeah. Sounds very similar to the kind of quote that we just heard from Robert Thomas, right? So I think they are going to be the team that ultimately wins the division. I'm going to take the Blues, though, to go further once we get into the postseason. I think they are better set up for a playoff push than the Avalanche. That was a semi-fast lane crap sandwich that you did there. But I appreciate that. You put the you put the positivity last, which is what you do, and I appreciate that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll allow that forget it, BK. Bet it or forget it, we are going to hear from another quote from Robert Thomas. He talks about what it was like to play with Brett Hull, or excuse me, Mike Hoffman earlier today. Same thing. I mean, we all know he's a sniper. We all know he scores goals. And, you know, I've been really impressed, actually. I didn't really realize how good his shot really was until uh, until I passed it to him. I think it was a couple days ago on a two-on-one, and he put it right under the bar. So, uh, yeah, we know he could shoot. We know he's got speed, a uh, ton of skills. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun to play with. You know what I just heard there? Sounded like Brett Hall. <laughs> it certainly did. Sounded like him. Better to forget it, Ferrario. Robert Thomas will finish this season playing on a line with Mike Hoffman, it sounds like, with at least 45 points for a little bit of context because it's a weird, funky season, 56 games. This would be 65 points in a normal year. Better to forget it, Robert Thomas has 45 or more points this year, which would be 65 in a normal season. I'm betting this because, one, he has weapons now. Think about the last two seasons he's put up, what, 33 and 42, 46 points he's put up. And he's done that the one year he had Pat Maroon and Tyler Bozak on his team, but he was playing the wing, which is not his normal position. Last year, he was all over the place. Played with Shannon Schwartz, played with O'Reilly and Perron, played with Bozak, Blay. Didn't have consistent line mates. He's going to have Mike Hoffman kind of attached to his hip until Tarasenko comes back, and then who knows what happens. Schwartz, Chen, whoever you put there, he has weapons now. He's going to be playing the position that he has played his entire life, and he talked about it in that Zoom session. I was reading one of the tweets talking about what he worked on in the offseason, and Jeremy alluded to it a little bit as well, talking about the passing and working on that skill set in the offseason. I'm betting this because I think it's going to be 45 or north of that because I think this is going to be the breakout season for Robert Thomas. I hope you're right. I'm going to play BK Buzz Killington. Buzz Killington again. Last year, if you look at what the Blues did and they finished the season, how many games did they actually end up playing? 61 games in total. So pretty similar to what they're going to play this year. Ryan O'Reilly finished the year with 61 points last year. David Perron had 60 Braden Shin, actually, you know uh, what? Someone's you know going to bet it. Braden Shin, Jaden Schwartz both had 57. Someone's going to bet it because it's Hall and Oates, BK. I'm going to bet it. Damn straight. He's playing with Brad Hall, excuse me, Mike Hoffman. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and get it. Bet it, rather. This is the get year it, that Robert Thomas ends up with at least 45 or more points. He's going to have a special season. This is going to be like watching Hull and Oates. Damn right. It's oh. going to be amazing. Welcome to the company, BK. This is the over-exaggeration tinfoil Buzz Killington side. I am taking off my Buzz Killington hat, and I'm going to go ahead and That's bet it. we like to hear. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Ferrario. The Buffalo, not the Kansas City Chiefs, will be the team that represents the AFC in the Super Bowl this year. 
Boy, you're going to hate me on this one. I'm going to forget it. Or, I'm Why sorry, am I I'm, I'm, no, you? I'm going to bet it. I'm going to bet it. Sorry. Uh, I, I know they're built for the Super Bowl. Like, they're not playing those last couple of games out at the end of the season to. The Chiefs? Yeah, the Chiefs I'm talking about. Like, they, they didn't play those games because they weren't great. Like, Pat Mahomes lost the MVP title, in my opinion, to Rodgers for those last couple of weeks. But it just didn't give me the warm and fuzzies that last year did when they went into the playoffs. And Buffalo right now, the last like eight weeks of the season, they have given me all of the feels of a team that cannot be stopped. I mean, they got the talent. They got the swag. The defense can actually make a stop, whereas Kansas City's I'm not too sure about. Uh, this might be an unpopular opinion, which is usually your territory, BK. But, yeah. uh, but I'm going to bet it. I think Buffalo will be representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. You know I like the Bills. Okay, so here's the turd sandwich. You know I like the Bills. Okay. Can we talk about who they've played? Oh, geez. Here we go. Just can, make excuses Can, can we them. talk about what they've done sure. on the field sure. tangibly? Let's talk about it. Their wins over this stretch that everybody's fallen in love with the Buffalo Bills. Okay. The Jets. Pretty good team. The Patriots. Okay. The Chargers. Okay. 49ers. Broncos. Patriots. Dolphins. Objectively really good win this week. No, no. No disclaimers there. They also had a win against the Steelers. At the time, I don't exactly think that the Steelers were killing it, but it is what it is. And they did have a win, a really nice win over the Seahawks, although I don't, I personally don't think the Seahawks are as good as we thought they were early in the season. I'm not as in on the Buffalo Bills as everybody else appears to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm honestly a little surprised by the amount of love that they're getting. In fact, so much so... I think there's a case to be made that I think the Colts might beat them this oh, weekend. Oh, jeez. Are, are we sure that we're not overestimating the Bills and underestimating the Indianapolis yes, Colts? Yes, we are sure. I, I mean, all I heard from you right there, BK, was fear. It was fear of Buffalo and Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley just making that defense look You know terrible. I'm not afraid of that team. I think you are. I think you are. I think you're afraid of that defense shutting down the offense of Kansas City. I, I'm i not afraid of the defense at all. The offense is good. It is objectively good. Josh Allen had a tremendous season and in a lot of years would have won the MVP. I'm, I'm not as all in on the Bills as some others appear to be. I've heard elsewhere this week that the Bills are now the favorite to come out of the AFC. Damn like there are, there are actual people that are paid to talk about football that are saying, you know what? The Buffalo Bills are the team to beat in the AFC. No, they're not. Yeah. Let's stop it. We talked all year about who the best team was other than the Chiefs in the AFC. We did that for a reason. Patrick Mahomes is healthy, and when Patrick Mahomes is healthy, one of two things happens that season. Either he wins the MVP or he wins the Super Bowl. We've got two examples so far of it, and he's done it both years. He won the MVP in year one, won the Super Bowl in year two. I think the same is going to be true this year. PK, your mouth is telling me that you're not worried, but your eyes are telling me that this is very stressful. For Six, you. five, seven, eight, oh, is the Air Comfort Service X line. The last one for better to forget it. Better to forget it. There will be multiple straight up upsets over the weekend, not against the spread, straight up upsets this weekend during Wild Card Weekend for Ario. Multiple straight upsets, meaning. Multiple teams that are underdogs that are this underdogs weekend will win the game outright. Win them. So we're talking Colts over the Bills, Don't Rams over the Seahawks, Washington against the Buccaneers, 
the Titans against the Ravens, the Bears against the Saints, and then the Browns against the Steelers. Those would be the teams that could pull off an upset. Do you think multiple of those teams wins straight up over the weekend? No, I really don't. I, I this is We went into this postseason saying it was so open that we don't know. Like, I could see that Rams and Seahawks one going either way, but I don't know if that's considered an – I mean, it's an upset because of the favorite, right? So – um, that would be the only one. But other than that, I mean, I know I was high on the Washington football team, but I still don't know if they can pull that one off. Bears aren't doing anything special here. Uh, you seem to think Buffalo's going to lose to the Colts, which I don't see that happening. Um, the Steelers are the favorites, which I don't understand that. I think the Browns are well, real. now without their head coach. Well, I guess that's Doesn't help. Not really sure about that. No, I, I'm, I'm forgetting it on this one because I, I think maybe you'll get one, but multiple. I think you know the winners of these games. I'm betting it. Um, I'm, I'm actually I'm pretty firm in my stance at this point. I think the Titans are going to beat the Ravens, and I think that line is crazy. The yeah. Ravens are a three-and-a-half-point road favorite against the Titans. I know home field meant absolutely nothing this year. It was literally 50-50 home teams and away teams in terms of the winning percentage. But I think the Titans are just objectively better than the Ravens. I think that if you're looking head-to-head, I know what the Ravens did on the ground last week. I will take the Titans' running game over the Ravens' running game. I know the Titans' defense stinks, but I will take the Titans' passing game over the Ravens' passing game. So I'm going to take the Titans straight up in that one. Um, And I think one other team pulls it off. I wouldn't be surprised if it is the Colts. And if Jared Goff plays for the Rams, it's not going to stun me if the Rams end up beating the Seahawks this week. Yeah, The Seahawks offense has not been the same for eight weeks now. And Jalen Ramsey has shown that he has the ability to shut down DK Metcalf. I think the Rams could easily pull off that upset as well. So I think there's going to be multiple this weekend. I think the two that are the most likely are the Titans beating the Ravens. And if Jared Goff plays, the Rams beating the Seahawks. But don't sleep on the Colts. I know everybody loves the Bills right now, but don't sleep on the Colts as well. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, I think Deshaun Watson is talking about one play, one person in particular in a quote that I heard the other night. I want to get Ferrario's thoughts on this. Plus, is any coach better at rehabbing other coaches than Nick Saban? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN broadcasting live from the Centene Community Ice Center inside the ENB Granite Studio. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. We just need a whole culture shift. We just need new energy. We just need discipline. We need um, structure. Uh, we need a leader so we can follow that leader as, as players. And that's what we need. And we got to have the love of just not just the game of football, because that's what we do, but the love for people and the people in this organization. We all got to be on the same page. There's too many different minds um, and too many different ideas and too many people thinking that they have this power and, and it's not like that. That was Deshaun Watson yesterday talking about what he wants to see from the new head coach down in Houston. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Ferrario, I thought he was talking about one person in particular as he was making that comment. I think he was talking about Eric Bieniemy. Yeah. Now, he has apparently, according to some reports, talked with Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, about Bienemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, and Patrick Mahomes gave glowing reviews. I can tell you having covered Eric Bienemy, he is a, a true leader. Like, you know how the, the, the term leader of men gets thrown around a lot in sports? 
that's Eric Bieniemy. Is he the greatest scheme guy in the world? I don't know because Andy Reid's the guy that's mostly in charge of that in Kansas City. But I know that he can lead a football team. I know that he's a real disciplinarian and he keeps guys in check in that locker room. Travis Kelsey has been a bit of a knucklehead at times in his career. Eric Bieniemy is the guy that has straightened him out at times in KC. So when he's talking about Sean Watson is we need somebody that's going to give us structure. We need discipline. We need new energy. We need a leader so we can follow that guy as players. To me, I hear that and I'm like, oh, he's basically telling the front office, please go bring in Eric Bieniemy. He's waiting right there. He should have been hired last year. Go get that guy to be our next head coach. When you hear that quote, do you think he is thinking of anybody in particular, or is he just spouting cliches? No, I don't think it's cliches. You don't say that just as cliches, right? You're you're talking about somebody that you want. I originally thought it would be Davo Sweeney, and you shut that down immediately yesterday. Like, you told me, <laughs> hell no, which, look, I don't know much about Davo. I just see the success on the field, but... Sure. From what I understand and from what you and I have talked, that doesn't fall into the definition that Deshaun Watson was was defining there. Biennemi makes the most sense because if you talk Pat Mahomes, you talk Deshaun Watson. Like, they're the one-two punch right now. They're the the Brady Manning, the Brady Rodgers. That's what the NFL is right now with those two. And frankly, it's a disservice to the NFL to have the Texans being so bad yep. because Watson's not at that level. So let me ask you this then because – other than Eric Bieniemy, I don't feel like there's a coach out there that can really take this team to the next step. Is it Eric Bieniemy or bust for these Houston Texans? I think it probably should be. Um, will it actually be? It's hard to know, man, because I, I don't know that I can remember a cycle where there was more names thrown out there as candidates for coaching jobs than there has been in, in this year. All right. It seems like there's at least five college coaches that are going to get looks in the NFL. Urban Meyer is reportedly the top candidate down in Jacksonville right now. I never thought I would see the day that that would be the case. Ryan Day is a candidate for jobs as well, the current Ohio State coach. There was talk yesterday um, about potentially other candidates emerging in college football as well. I know Matt Campbell at Iowa State is somebody that people have talked about before. So there's a lot of guys in the college level that are going to get looks in the NFL. Joe Brady who was one year ago the passing game coordinator at LSU, has now become the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. He is getting a bunch of interviews around the league. There's guys that are defensive coordinators. Robert Sala, I think, would be a yep. really good candidate for this Texans job if that's what they're looking for. Um, there, there's a lot of candidates out there. So should it be truly Eric Bieniemy or a bust for them? Maybe not. But I think he brings everything that Deshaun Watson is talking about here. And after hearing what Deshaun Watson said there and what J.J. Watt said a week ago yeah. with that viral clip that went out there of him talking about how uh, this is bigger than just one game and people need to take this seriously, it seems like the energy that they need is somebody who's going to come in there and have some discipline because right. it seems like that's been sorely lacking for them in recent years. So then let me ask you this. Is Eric Bieniemy one of the guys, because you, you've covered this guy before, BK, is he one of those guys that that falters when he's away from his head coach. Because we've seen that, right? We've seen guys who can flourish after working under somebody mm -hmm. with a bright mind, but we've also seen guys fall apart. Which one is Eric Bieniemy on away from Andy Reid? I think, 
I think he's going to be a good coach. I don't think he's a transcendent coach. Does that make sense? So he's not an Andy Reid, Bill no, Belichick. I don't think so. I don't think he's in that realm. But I think you're going to get a really good coach. Is he like and, a Kyle Shanahan kind of? No. no I think better? Shanahan's better oh, than really? Eric okay. Bien-Ami. Um, I But I think you're getting a guy that is going to come in and provide all of the things that Sean Watson is talking about. I don't think he's going to be a problem for your team. One thing that we don't know, though, is how is he going to manage the games, right? Yeah. We didn't know that about Cliff Kingsbury down in Arizona. He's a disaster been great. with that stuff. Anthony Lynn, I think, is a really good coach. The problem is he has some serious fatal flaws with game management, and it has cost the Chargers multiple games, not just this year, but over the last few years, so he had to go as a result. I think Bienemy, in terms of what his coaching profile could be, is in some ways similar to Anthony Lynn. Mm-hmm. Anthony Lynn, by all accounts, is respected by his players. He's a really good coach for them inside of that locker room. The problem is he has some fatal flaws. We don't know if BNME is going to have those same issues, but he could. It's possible that he will. Um, But I I think he should be the top candidate for that job down in Houston. Speaking of candidates for jobs, I wanted to mention this real quickly with you because apparently Nick Saban is talking about NFL. No, no, no comebacks. He's talking about potentially hiring either Adam Gase or Bill O'Brien to be the next offensive coordinator down at Alabama. Now, Adam Gase is a failed head coach in the NFL multiple times over. Bill O'Brien was just fired midseason by the Houston Texans despite having Deshaun Watson as his quarterback because he was such a disaster running that team. He's the Mike Keenan of the Houston Texans right now. Absolutely. That city hates that man. I am convinced at this point Nick Saban can rehab any coach's image. Any coach. Think of the worst coach that you can possibly imagine. In terms of if they're an offensive mind, if they are a coach that is disgraced, NFL or college, that at one point was thought of highly, they can come in to Nick Saban's program, be the offensive coordinator for two years, and within two years, they will be considered a head coach or a prominent offensive coordinator candidate to go either back to the NFL or to a major job in college football. We've seen it with Butch Jones and Brian Dable and Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, who just got hired by Texas, which is crazy. I think if either, it seems crazy to say, if either Adam Gase or Bill O'Brien go to Alabama and they're the next OC for the Crimson Tide, either one of those two, whoever is hired, would be a legitimate NFL candidate again to get another job within the next two years. See, I I would say I'm out on that one unless it's Adam Gase. If that's Bob taking that job, he's not back. I don't know if he gets a job back in the NFL after what he did in Houston. I think he will. You think so? Absolutely. Think about how many hires we've seen that make no sense. Jeff Fisher was hired multiple times. Multiple times. But Jeff Fisher at least had some sort of success. Bill O'Brien ruined an entire organization in a matter of two years. How many times did the Texans win that division in a row and make the playoffs? Was it like five under him? I mean, there will be an NFL owner that looks at it and says, look at what Bill O'Brien did with some some lacking... um, quarterbacks on his team he made the playoffs like five straight years imagine what he could do here when he doesn't have control of the roster and that's going to be the thing that changes he won't be the general manager wherever he goes next but that's damn sure he's going to be a head coach somewhere again and it's going to start if he gets this job in alabama it's going to start with him being the offensive coordinator for for uh nick saban nick saban is like mr miyagi he's like a financial guru of like security of like hey come work for me for two years and i'll get you back making millions of dollars all of the stench 
that accumulated yeah. around Adam Gase over the last five years will be gone. God he will come you. out smelling like roses if he goes down to um, Alabama for two years. It's, it's incredible what he's able to I do. If I could be an offensive coordinator for Alabama. You would end up getting a head coaching job within the next three years God, if you did God that. God bless you, Nick Saban. <laughs> he is Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to dive into the junk drawer coming up next. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Powered by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go blues. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN alongside Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, Alex. So I got to tell you about a situation that I had yesterday here for the junk drawer. Today. I'm so excited about this story. So yesterday, I am. I, I I'm at work. We're finishing up the show, and I get an email, right? Because I bought something on Amazon. I get an email that says your package has officially been delivered. I'm like, all right, awesome. So the package that I had delivered was a ring sizer. So. My okay. fiance and I are looking for our wedding bands, and I have found some online that are only available online that I would like to potentially purchase, right? So I ordered like a $5 ring sizer on Amazon so that way they could send it to me and I could figure out what exactly size I need for right. my ring, right? Pretty easy. So I get it sent. Again, it's like a $5 thing. It's sitting on my porch, and they send, you know how Amazon does, they take, take the picture, picture of it whenever it's done, and they, they send that to you and let you know that it's arrived. I'm like, all right, sweet. Good to go. So about 10 minutes later, my future father-in-law, Keith, texts us in the group chat for, the, for everybody that lives at, at our place, says, hey, I don't know who got a package delivered, but it's gone now. Somebody came and grabbed it. I was like, what? What do you mean it's gone? It literally just arrived less than 10 minutes ago. It was like eight minutes uh, pat had passed between the time that I got the email and the time when Keith texts us, hey, it's gone. So he has the ring, right, where they, yeah, they the are able doorbell. to take the video. Yeah, yeah not so, the video that kills people, the doorbell. That, correct, yeah, okay. correct. Just making sure. So it, he's got the doorbell video, and it turns on any time that there's anybody that has, like, a motion in right. front of it. So he's able to go back and check it out. And you can't see the kid's face. It's very clear he's been, like, staking this out, right? He, oh. he must have seen the delivery truck come through, and he followed it to see where he was going. <laughs> So he drops it on the front door, and you can see this kid. He, he, he sprints up to the door, hides his face. He's wearing a hoodie and runs back out and nice. never see him. God bless you, whatever. It is what it is, right? Honestly, I'm not even mad at the kid. <laughs> it is what it is. They were able to send me a new one. It should be here in a couple of days. I just, I wish I could have seen on that video his face as he opens up the package and it reveals to him you have just stolen. You spent all of this time following this truck and then go, finding a way to avoid the video. All you got as a result of all of this time that you have spent is a ring sizer. It's a $5 ring sizer. A $5 ring sizer. Now, That's what you did? Now, you, you have to imagine, like, one, I would never do something like that because I'm not a monster, but you'd have to imagine, like, there's a lot of... A lot of failure in that before you get success of finding something or right. stealing something that you want. So you have to be prepared for that. But I would imagine because you said this kid couldn't have been that old, right? Like he was, seemed like he was probably, yeah, middle school, high school, something yeah, like high that. High school. So the, the problem is like you don't just on a whim do that, right? Like you, you plan for that. Like put yourself in a high schooler's shoes. 
You're not going to sit there and be like, you know what? I'm going to go steal an it, Amazon package It could package have been today. anything, right? It yeah. could have been, because all it is is that Amazon white package. Right. It's like the bubble wrap kind of package, right? It could have been like an Xbox game. You thought it was a PlayStation 5, It could have been anything. And you rip off that top thing. You're excited. You're like, oh, I just stole this off the front porch. It's going to be something good. And it's a ring sizer? Can you imagine? You know it must have been the worst day. You know what would have been incredible is if he opened it, found out it was the ring sizer, all of this on the ring camera, and then he just gets out of his car and he goes and puts it back down on the front porch oh. and says, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I got home yesterday and I was like, did you check around the neighborhood to see if like he dropped it somewhere? Because I would it's imagine that's sizer. not what he was looking for. <laughs> like, what, what was going through his mind as he was as he was thinking about doing this? Couldn't have been all. Oh, I'm gonna go steal a ring sizer. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the three one four. Not only that, he's committing a felony to be able to grab a ring sizer. Yeah, you go to jail for a <laughs> ring sizer. Can not you worth imagine? <laughs> can you imagine if we had got him caught on camera? And we press charges, and I would. It's a five dollars, right? Like oh, I, I hope he would charges. learn a lesson in some way. But other than me having to press charges on him, I would. But can you imagine if I was the type of guy that would, like you, yeah, Alex Ferrario? Yeah. If I was sitting in court, and he's the defendant, <laughs> and the judge says, "So I see here, you stole off of a porch a five dollar metal ring sizer." <laughs> What an awful, awful way to go away. Well, I'm sure he had the best day ever opening up that package. Speaking of packages, BK, I sent you this picture yesterday along with our buddy Jamie Rivers, uh, who was on our text chain. Um, I I'm not here to talk about how people feel about the vaccines. If you're going to take it, okay. or you're not going to take it. But as a male, would you take the vaccine, BK, if you were told that the best way it can work your system mm -hmm. is to inject the needle into your man parts? Excuse me, what? Taking the needle. A doctor from the University of California who did a study involving 1,500 men who received the vaccine, which I don't know how that's even possible. I guess that was the okay. testing that went with it. But they found that the best way and the fastest release of the vaccine throughout the body for a male is to inject it into your man parts. Mm -hmm. Just nope. straight onto it with nope. the needle. Nope, 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 nope. Not interested. Nope. In no way, shape, or form. Nope. What if they way? told you today you could get the vaccine, BK? You jump ahead of everybody if you take it that way. Uh, so first of all, I had COVID, so I'm good You're in the good. meantime. <laughs> I'll wait until my turn. Um, second of all, you can put that shot in my arm tomorrow if you want to. I'm more than happy to take the vaccine. I'm ready to go. Whenever they want to get it for me, I will take it. They'll put it in your arm. It's just you your lower not, arm. No. Yeah. No, they are not. They yep. are not going. Mm -mm, no, yep. sir. Nobody's stealing that package, right? <laughs> no, not that <laughs> one. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Buster only put together his list of the top 10 starters and the top 10 relievers in all of baseball. Oh, there's got to be a lot of Cardinals on there. We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. Blues Hockey is back. It's BK and Ferrario live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center for Blues Training Camp on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So I was on ESPN earlier today. Checking out the website, seeing if there was anything that would be worth discussing today, Ferrario. 
Okay. And I came across Buster Olney's list of the top 10 starting pitchers and the top 10 relievers going into the 2021 MLB season. I figured at some point I was going to come across at least one Cardinals pitcher. Nope. Eh. Not a single one, not a single Cardinal starter or reliever made the list of the top 10 pitchers in baseball going into the 2021 season. I get that. If the Cardinals are going to reach any sort of peak performance this season, any sort of peak performance, they need to have a guy on both of those lists by the end of the year. And it's starters and relievers? There's one list for the starters, top 10 starters, and one list for the relievers, top 10 relievers. If they are going to have a season that has any sort of potential to be more than what we're expecting. So I'm talking win the division and win at least a round in the postseason. They need Jack Flaherty to be a starting or top 10 starting pitcher this year. And they need one of their relievers, one of them to finish the year as a top 10 reliever. That could be Jordan Hicks. It could be Alex Reyes by the end of the year. It could be Henesis Cabrera. You've got options back there as possibilities of who could be that top 10 reliever, but they need one of those guys to be on both of those lists going into the, er, going into the postseason this year. It, it, they need to outperform what their expectations are if this team is going to have anything resembling what is a quote-unquote special season for them. Yeah, without question. And, and the reliever would be my better bet, although Jack Flaherty, I mean, seems like a, a, a realistic option, but there's so much starting pitching talent right now in Major League Baseball that it's not going to be an easy thing to crack the top 10. Um, Flaherty has to put together an entire season that he put the second half two years ago to get in that top 10, in my opinion, which is not going to be easy. Relieving, though, I mean, you got three guys that could be in that top 10 by the end of this season, I think. I mean, Jordan Hicks, if he gets back to the form he was before his Tommy John, he's going to be one of the top closers, at least in the National League, from what we've seen. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos deserves to be on this list from what he's done, and I think he'll continue to improve. And Alex Reyes is another one. So the relieving side, I think the Cardinals are set on. It's the pitching side, because before Dakota Hudson went down, I think you could argue you have two guys that could at least be in the conversation of that. I don't know if Dakota Hudson's there yet, but he's trending in that direction for how he pitches. But now with him out, Michaelis isn't going to be there. Kwang Young Kim's not going to be there. Wainwright's not going to be there if he's back. Jack Flaherty's your only option. So Jack Flaherty has to perform above and beyond what we are used to to get on that top 10 or even put this Cardinals into position. But unfortunately, that's the good thing about the Cardinals, right? Like, they don't need one guy to lead the pack. They got guys who can help out, which is a benefit. And they'll win the NL Central, but to do any damage, you got to have multiple guys outperforming what their norm is. Yeah, they, they need this season for the pitching to be special because we know that the hitting is not going to be that. The no. hitting at best is going to be average. And if we're looking at what they're doing this offseason, well, there's not a whole lot of it right now. It, it doesn't seem like there's anything brewing for the Cardinals. I don't think that they're out there potentially getting ready to make a play for any sort of significant additions. I think the hope at this point is Yadier Molina returns and hopefully they add one more guy that can help them out at third base yeah, or in the outfield. I think you're probably looking at two more, if you want to call them significant, quote unquote, significant additions, guys that are going to be in that five to $10 million range. I think that's probably what you're looking at going into the season. So that brings us back to the pitching side of things. I'm with you, man. You look at this bullpen. I think there's a case to be made that by the end of the year, any of these five guys could be on a list like this. Gallegos, who you mentioned. Reyes, who you mentioned. Cabrera, who I mentioned earlier. 
And then it's at least possible. Hicks as well. So there's yeah. actually six guys um, that you could put on this list. I, I uh, didn't put him on yeah. it. Helsley and Carlos Martinez could also end up on a list like that by the end of the year. Yeah. I know that sounds crazy, especially for Carlos after what we've seen from him lately. We've seen him be a dominant bullpen player before, though. And if he can regain that, recapture that form in what is basically a contract year for him, he could absolutely finish the season as a top 10 reliever. And Helsley's stuff is as good as you'll see on this team. Yeah. He's got to command it. He's, he's got to make sure that he's not getting it hit as hard as it did at times last year. But Helsley's stuff can play to the potential of being on a list like this. So if you're looking at the Cardinals bullpen, there's a ton of options there. But this list for the starting pitching reminds me of how much pressure there is on Jack Flaherty going into this season. I don't think there's any other starter in the Cardinals uh, rotation right now that could be on a list like this by the end of the season. Somebody on on the text line, 65780, says, why doesn't KK Kim make make a starter's top 10 list? Weren't his numbers this good last year? He was... But they're projecting for 2021 who the top 10 pitchers will be in the yeah, league. this wasn't last year. I don't know how you could make a list of KK being a, a top 10 pitcher going into the next year. That that shouldn't be the expectation And it was such a small track record last season of KK. I mean, he was great, yes, but I mean, you, you didn't have him the full season as the starter. So it's hard to sit there and project somebody who's going to be 31 years old who hasn't had a full season in Major League Baseball is going to be a top 10 pitcher. Jack Flaherty hasn't done it for a full season, but he did it for a half season. And, I mean, he was very substantial for you last year, but it just wasn't to the level that you need him to be. I'll throw two more names into that bullpen mix for you, BK. John Gant's another one that can be on that list. I don't know if he's going to be at the same level as some of those other guys, Yeah. but if he if he performs to the level that he did when he first came to the Cardinals, I mean, this was a go-to guy in every situation. Um, Cody Whitley might get to that point as well, but no, I agree. Your bullpen is stacked and set right now. Your rotation, I think, should be an area of concern because you don't have Dakota Hudson, who's eating innings right now. Miles Michaelis, in all effect, is going to be healthy this season, so you hope he can get back to that form. But now without Adam Wainwright, that's two holes that you got to fill that can get a lot of innings. So there's going to be a, a major onus on Jack Flaherty for this season, which puts an awful lot of pressure on the pitching staff for how bad the offense is and going I to be. And I do think sometimes we don't give enough credit to Jack Flaherty for what he's done. Oh, I agree. Even with last year, and it wasn't pretty, right? We, we all saw it. it, it there, there were times when it didn't look great, and it was just a weird year for him in general. He, you had the lockdown situation where they were quarantined, and then he took a little bit to get going again. It was just a weird season in every possible way, even including that. Over the last three years... Jack Flaherty is 12th among all qualified starters in baseball in ERA. 12th and among all qualified starters. The only guys above him, Jacob DeGrom, Hinju Juru, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Clayton Kershaw, Snell, Scherzer, Bueller, Clevenger, Nola, Grinky. Those are guys that yeah. are household names or are guys that are going to eventually get paid like $200 million. Jack Flaherty's in that type of a group. So it is not crazy to suggest that he could be seen as a top 10 pitcher next year I think he very well may and for the Cardinals they kind of need him to there's one other guy that I think we should uh, bring up from the 573 guys do you think Alex Reyes would have a chance to be in the rotation this year and if he would do you think that he could end up on a list like this I I think he's definitely got a chance I I think because of the two names that I mentioned no Hudson and no Wainwright it seems you have two open spots Carlos Martinez is going to get a shot there like it or not 
Um, and I think Alex Reyes is on that same list of going to get a shot into the rotation. Ponce is going to be there. Gomber's going to be there. But I think Reyes has just as much of a shot as that rotation as a Gomber or a Ponce does. And if Reyes gets there, I don't think he's going to skyrocket to a top 10 list of pitchers, starting pitchers in the year. But I will say he's going to take a step forward because I have all of the confidence in the world that Reyes has matured to the point now after everything he's gone through of what it takes to to stay healthy for an entire Major League Baseball season. Of all of the pitchers in their staff right now, not named Jack Flaherty, Reyes is the one most likely to be on a list. I agree. I don't think it'll be in 2021. But if you told me in the 2023 season, uh, Alex Reyes is considered a top 10 starting pitcher in baseball, that wouldn't come as a shock to me. Yeah, no, it wouldn't for me either. It wouldn't. We saw his stuff last year looked like the guy that we had seen previously. All of this, though, of course, is dependent, reliant upon him being healthy. If he's healthy, he's got as good a stuff as anybody in the sport. It's why he was the top prospect in all of baseball at one point. But if he's not healthy, that's where the concerns come in. But I I think he is the guy that outside of Jack Flaherty has the most potential to be on a list like this as we proceed forward. Cardinals right now have zero players, top 10, according to Buster Olney, pitchers, starters, or relievers. No no, No pitchers, top 10, among their starters or the relievers. By the end of the season, if that is also the case, they're not going to have any shot of doing anything special. Can't wait to see who falls into the top ten of the rotation or the uh, position players for the Cardinals. Well, I'm I'm sure he'll go position by position, and they'll have a few of them. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We might have seen a few players take their final snaps for their current teams. Talking about Derek Carr in Las Vegas, Matt Stafford in Detroit, Matt Ryan in Atlanta. We'll play a game of Is It Over? Coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. All right, Alex, so it might be over for a few of these guys. Might be over. We might have seen the final snaps for a few players around the league with their respective teams. So let's play a game of, is it over? I'm talking about guys like Tua Tungavailoa in Miami, Matt Stafford in Detroit, Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina. Let's go through a few of these. Let's start with Tua. Oh, you're starting with a hardball, aren't we? The Miami Dolphins have the number three overall pick in next year's NFL draft. You've got a bunch of quarterbacks, the BYU kid. You've got Trevor Lawrence. You've got Justin Fields, Trey Lance from North Dakota State, a lot of people like. You've got a bunch of quarterbacks in this upcoming draft. Is it over for Tua Tonga Vailoa in Miami already? No, it's not over yet. Uh, I, they, they haven't shown the faith of this guy being the starter, in my opinion. Like, from what we saw of pulling a mid game and, and Fitzpatrick taking over, and then, you know, not hearing somebody state that Tua is our guy next season. But I'm also not ruling it out. I just think they view Tua as kind of a work in progress still. A year removed from the knee injury. Uh, I don't see Miami drafting a quarterback with that third pick because I think Fields and Lawrence are going to be gone by then. And I don't know if you take the shot on Wilson when you have a Tua. So, no, I'm going to say it's not over yet. I'm with you. I don't think it's over. That being said, I wouldn't blame them if it was. 
And the reason why I say it like that is because it is very rare for a playoff team to have a top three pick. They made a really good trade with the Texans. That's how they got this pick. It was in the Laramie Tunsil trade. And now they have the opportunity to really, at the most important position in the sport, make an upgrade. Yeah. It's very rare that that's going to happen. And so they're in a unique situation, which means they have a unique decision between a guy they just drafted and the guys that are currently prospects. If they view, if it's Justin Fields or Traylon, whoever is there, they view those guys as an upgrade. They should make that pick. Mm -hmm. They should not allow the current having Tua Tungabailoa on the roster. They shouldn't allow that to prevent them to, from making a difficult decision. But if they really like Tua, I trust them. They should decide probably to trade down from that spot, get more picks, and yeah. ultimately build their roster that way. I wouldn't blame them if they did it, but I don't think it is over for Tua Tungabailoa. Let's move on to the next one. Derek Carr in Las Vegas. Now, Derek Carr, next year, accounts for $22 million against the cap if he is on the Raiders roster. If they trade him or cut him, though, it's only $2 million. They save $20 million against the cap if they move on from Derek Carr after this season. So, is it over, in your opinion, Alex Ferrario, for Derek Carr in Las Vegas? I don't think it's over for Derek Carr in Las Vegas. I mean, look, I don't love John Gruden, but he seems to love Derek Carr. And look, I don't think Derek Carr was awful this season. I mean, I think he was good enough to get the team to the postseason. What hurt them was the fact that their defense couldn't play the game. Like, they struggled an awful lot. But Derek Carr has built up a little bit of chemistry with Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs. Henry Ruggs seemed to have been a bust this season. I don't think it's over yet. I think John Gruden loves Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr symbolizes a lot of Vegas in his style. I'm going to say no, this isn't over because I don't know the upgrade that can fix Vegas. I think the upgrades have to come on the other side of the ball. I'm going to look up the NFL draft order right now to see where Las Vegas is currently selecting. Because They have to be like 12, 13, because they were nearly in the postseason. They are 17th overall You're not getting anything there. I don't think you're getting an upgrade there. I think the question for them comes down to whether or not they believe in Derek Carr or if they want to go with Marcus Mariota. They signed Mariota, if you remember, in the last offseason to a two-year contract. So he's back with them this upcoming season. It's the final year of his deal. I think Derek Carr's fine. I think Derek Carr is, for Las Vegas, what Alex Smith was in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And this is pre-injury Alex Smith. A fine quarterback that you like having that is good enough to make you to the playoffs. You're never winning a Super Bowl with that guy. Never. It's not going to happen because he's not good enough to carry the team when you need him most, right? It's like in the NBA. If you don't have a top five guy in the NBA, you're not winning the NBA Finals. It's not going to happen because that's what you need in the playoffs. When, it, when the game's on the line, you need somebody that's going to make that big shot for you. Derek Carr's not that guy, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with having him as your quarterback. You just have to acknowledge before the season that he's not going to get you to over the finish line. Yeah. So I wouldn't blame them if they decided to move on, and I do think there are teams out there that could do a lot worse than having Derek Carr as their starter. Yeah. But at some point in the life cycle of a franchise, you get sick of going 7-9, and 8-8, eight and eight, and I think that's the type of quarterback with their roster that Derek Carr is I don't is right know now. if Mar Mariota's not the answer either. I mean, we saw him in those last couple of games where Carr was hurt and he didn't look like anything special. The problem is I don't know if there's anything better on the free agent market that can upgrade you to being a championship team. And you draft so low. You're kind of like the Cardinals right now, the St. Louis yeah. Cardinals, right? You're always, you're never bad enough to get great players through the picks, but you're also never great to win the championship, at least for right now. Yeah, they're a team that... 
they're going to have to get really creative if they're going to go get their quarterback. Yeah. The way that the Chiefs did with Mahomes. Yeah. You, you got to make that big deal where you're moving up and you're able to use multiple first round picks to go get your guy, whoever that may be. Right. Next one up for you. This is a guy that's been with the Detroit Lions for a long time now. He's been there for a decade. Matt Stafford. Is it over for Matt Stafford in Detroit? This is the first time they can actually move on from him. If he stays, $33 million against the cap. If they trade him or cut him, only $19 million against the cap, $14 million in saving for the Detroit Lions. I think he's still a good quarterback. He's going to be 33 years old, though. They're going to have a new GM, new head coach. Is it over for Matt Stafford in Detroit, in your opinion? It's over for Matt Stafford in Detroit for me. Uh, I think Indianapolis seems like the Ooh, perfect I spot. I like that. I think it's the perfect spot for Matt Stafford to go, especially after a Phillip Rivers is leaving uh, into retirement. Matt Stafford has just suffered from never really having weapons consistently. Like, he's had Megatron. He's got Kenny Galladay, but it's health and it's everything else. Um, so, yeah, I think Matt Stafford wants a change of scenery, and I would imagine Detroit wants a change of scenery. But the problem is they don't draft that high to get a quarterback They're either. They're seventh this year, so they've got a shot. You if you they, get Zach Wilson there? I don't know, but you could trade up pretty easily. Yeah. You take your second and your first round pick, you could move up to maybe where, like if Miami's not taking a quarterback, maybe you could get to, to number three, three from yep. there. Yeah, it, it's worth considering. I like it. I it's over. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think it is over for Matt Stafford in Detroit. He's had a good career, a solid career for them, but I think it's officially coming to an end. I think they should move on. I think they should take their quarterback in the first round this year. Yeah. All right. Next one up. Matt Ryan. Is it over for Matt Ryan in Atlanta? Similar to Matt Stafford's career in Detroit. He had the one MVP season when you had Kyle Shanahan as his uh, offensive coordinator down in Atlanta, ultimately the 28-3. We know how it ended. Choked Sorry, in the Salt. Yep. But he's a big cap hit. It's tough for them to move on from him after the season. Is it over for Matt Ryan in Atlanta now that they're going to have a new head coach and a new general manager? I don't think it's over for Matt Ryan in Atlanta, but I think the path is starting to become clear. I think what happens with Matt Ryan is what happened with Pat Mahomes in Kansas City. I think you're going to see Atlanta try and draft a quarterback this season. I don't know who it is. Maybe they try and draft up or move up in the draft. But I see that scenario as Matt Ryan has been a Falcons lifer. Uh, I think he'll remain a Falcons lifer, but I think it's more of a, hey, we're going to bring somebody in who's going to take the reins over within the next year. I think you got one more year of Matt Ryan left before the the new guy takes over after this draft. Hate agreeing with you, but I think you're right. It's too many times, so we I need think to change you're right. this. I, I think he's back for one more season. He's... He's $40 million next year against the cap. They Holy just shnikes. gave him this new extension. So $40 million against the cap. But if they cut him, Ferrario, it costs them an extra $10 million. Oh, so the Carson Wentz syndrome. Yes. They're in a similar situation to what the Eagles are with Carson Yikes. Wentz. It's $50 million he will account against the cap next year if he's not on the roster. Yeah. It's more expensive to get rid of him than it is to keep him. He's going to be there next year. But I do think it is time for them to give serious, serious consideration with that fourth overall pick. To drafting whoever that guy is. Yeah. Maybe Justin Fields is still there. He went to Georgia, transferred out to Ohio State. Maybe he comes back to the great state of Georgia and is that ultimately would be the an next incredible Falcons quarterback. Team. That would be an incredible team with a Justin Fields who has the running capability, but of course the weapons of Ridley and Julio Jones. That would be an awesome matchup. Last one. Okay. Teddy Bridgewater. Is it over for Ooh. Teddy Bridgewater after just one year in Carolina? I'm going to say yes. 
I, I look, Matt Rule did a great job this year with a team that I don't think anybody expected Carolina to be any good. They weren't, but they were competitive. And I think they lost like what three games by one possession, which is very impressive for that roster. But Teddy Bridgewater wasn't anything special. You know, he drove the team down the field a lot. But from the weapons that he has, now look, I know Christian McCaffrey was hurt this season, but Mike Davis was very good for them this year. Curtis Samuel, um, Robbie Anderson, I mean, DJ Moore. DJ Moore. He's got three legit wide receivers, and he was unable to make any magic. So I think Matt Rule's building something there. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is the answer. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a backup. I think he is a Jameis Winston for a team. Carolina has to move on. I hate to say it, but. I like the idea of a Dak Prescott in Carolina. I do, too, if he's available. I don't know I'm if Dallas is I moving think, on. I think Carolina, I think it's over for Teddy Bridgewater there. His passing numbers were very similar to what you saw from Cam Newton in New England this year without the rushing upside. Oh, let's go back to Cam Newton then. I don't think that they're going to go that route. <laughs> but sure? 3,700 yards, 15 touchdowns, 11 picks for Teddy wow. Bridgewater this year. Just not good enough. Yep. Just not good enough, especially given the weapons that you were talking about. They pick eighth in next year's NFL draft. If a quarterback is there or they want to move up, I think they should absolutely do that. If not, I think there are so many options out there potentially on the market. Like if Derek Carr becomes available, they're the perfect team. I think he would be an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. Um, If Matt Ryan, for instance, were to become available, I think he would be an upgrade over what they have right now in Teddy Bridgewater. Same thing for Tua. If Tua becomes available, he makes a ton of sense for the Miami Dolphins. So, or excuse me, for the uh, Carolina Panthers. So I, those are a few of the guys that they could go after. I don't think, though, moving forward, Teddy Bridgewater is the answer for yeah. them. For Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are going to continue our preview of the Honda Western Division. There it is. Coming up next, we're going to do so with Vegas Golden Knights insider and radio analyst Gary Lawless as he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN broadcasting live from the Centene Community Ice Center inside the ENB Granite Studio. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Thrilled to go out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line as we continue previewing the Western Conference, specifically the Honda Pacific Division. That's right. We do so today with Vegas Golden Knights insider and radio analyst Gary Lawless joining us here on the show. Gary, we always appreciate the time, man. Can't wait to be able to watch those Vegas Golden Knights take on the Blues here in not too long. How you doing today, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I wonder if Alex Petrangelo, when he uh, when he signed with the Golden Knights, if he understood that he was going to be playing the Blues eight times in the regular season. And then, you know, the fact that it's going to be divisional playoffs, uh, you know, the first two rounds are in division. Uh, Alex uh, is going to see a lot of the Blues, and the Blues are going to see a lot of Alex. I got to tell you, Gary, that to me is one of the best storylines of any division right now going into this new season. Of course, you have the Canadian division, which is going to be impressive in itself. But this storyline of Vegas and St. Louis, because the fun fact is Vegas really hasn't built up a rivalry yet with another team, have they? But every time that the Vegas Golden Knights play the Blues, it seems to be one goal overtime outcome. So like that rivalry is really building up. Sure. Well, I would think that, you know, Vegas does have a pretty good rivalry with uh, with the San Jose Sharks. Played them twice in the playoffs uh, and had the uh, obviously the the infamous uh, 
major penalty in uh, in game seven oh, that yeah. saw a three nothing lead disappear. Uh, but uh, I will say this: um, the, the presence of Ryan Reeves on the Golden Knights roster every time they play the Blues, uh, Ryan and David Perron have words for one another, and actually uh, Alex and uh, and Ryan who played together uh, coming up. They always had words for one another as well. So, uh, um, listen, the Blues are uh, a big, heavy, powerful team. When they play uh, the Golden Knights, uh, who like to play that style as well, there's a lot of contact. Uh, Reeves is uh, is a massive uh, uh, element uh, on the Golden Knights uh, forward force, and uh, we know what he brings to the game. Uh, there's, uh, there's lots of spice in that stew. Let's put it that way. Gary, yesterday we were able to talk with Connor McGahey, uh, Colorado Avalanche play-by-play announcer for Altitude Sports, and he told us that the Avalanche, it, it is, if it's not Stanley Cup or bust, it is as close as you can possibly get to that. That is the goal for their season. That's the stated goal for everybody on that roster. Is the same true for the Vegas Golden Knights going into this year? I mean, I would assume if you make a signing like Alex Petrangelo, that is the goal, but how much of a Stanley Cup or bust is it this year for Vegas? Oh, well, listen, uh, you know, first of all, I think anytime you make the final four in the NHL, you've had a successful season. Um, and Vegas has done that twice in their three year history. I've uh, been to the Stanley Cup once as well. Without question, this team is built to win the Stanley Cup. You know, if they lose in the Stanley Cup, would the season be, de- de- you know, be determined to failure? I-, I think that is probably, you know, pretty strong language. You get to the final two, you've done a pretty good job. But, these guys have been have been close. They've they've been sniffing around it. They're ready to take a bite. They want to win the cup for sure. Gary, I want to ask you about the way that this team is set up. I mean, a lot of people know how this offense looks. I mean, you got two very dominant lines, and then Alex Tuck was a playoff hero last year, playing on a third line, and that fourth line is so strong. But the defensive side, I mean, adding Alex Petrangelo, who is an elite defenseman in the NHL, is is an upgrade. But it's also a group of guys that has a Shea Theodore who's on the rise and Alec Martinez who has won the Stanley Cup already with the LA Kings. Is this one of the better defensive units you feel, not just in the in the Pacific West Division this season, but in the Western Conference as a whole? NHL.com ranks. Alex Petrangelo has the fourth best defenseman in the National Hockey League and they rank Shea Theodore has the 14th. Um, uh, and Shea is still on the rise, and uh, I have Alex at third uh, uh, in the top three with uh, with Hedman and Yossi. His his complete game, how strong he is at both ends of the ice, make him uh, make him different than a lot than than just about anybody in the NHL. He's right there with Hedman and Yossi, and you know you know people will will talk about John Carlson and Seth Jones, and um, you know John's offense is pretty great, but the other end of his game it falls off a little bit. Seth's, you know, defensive abilities are, are so great, but the offense falls off a little bit. So I have Alex, I slate Alex above those guys. Shea Theodore uh, is, you know, he, he's, he's going to play for Team Canada. He's going to be, you know, one of the six best defensemen uh, in the, the team that will be favored to, to win at the Olympics if, they, if at the NHL goes in 2022. He can skate. He's got the ability to get that shot through. He does everything with his head up. He's just, uh, uh, he, he, and uh, like the opportunity to play with Alex. I don't think they'll be paired together, but I think Pete DeBoer will use them together in situations. 
you know, on the power play or when they're, you know, teams behind a, behind by a goal late in the game. I think you have those two guys on the ice together. Uh, also, if Alex is paired with, say, Braden McNabb and Theodore is, is paired with um, with uh, Martinez, you got to pick your poison. You know, so you know some nights, some nights Shea is going to benefit from getting easier minutes as a result of uh, of Pete DeBoer having Alex Petrangelo at his disposal. I just think it uh, takes their their decor from uh, from you know being in the top third to being you know right at the very top of the NHL. We're talking with Vegas Golden Knights insider and radio analyst Gary Lawless here on 101 ESPN. Gary, one of the things that I'm most interested uh, for this upcoming season is how the schedule is going to play into things. I mean, uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, for instance, early in the year, it's two games to start off with Anaheim and then four straight games for Vegas against Arizona before two games against the Blues. How much do you think this almost like a baseball series type of games is going to play into how how teams perform this year? What do you find interesting about this new setup with the schedule? Well, <laughs> it's like a playoff series. Uh, you know, uh, I think that the second game of that four-game set with Arizona or the third game, maybe it's the fourth game, um, it's going to get nasty. Uh, and then when you've played a team twice already, you know, when you like, they play the Blues twice in late January, and then they get them again twice uh, in, uh, I believe, in March. Yeah, in March they get them again. Well, they'll that first game of that second two game set, they'll be people will remember stuff that happened in that that first two game series, and it'll carry over into that. Uh, I think you know, I, I I think for Vegas having two elite goalies like Fleury and Leonard is an advantage for them. I also think having Ryan Reeves at the on the on the bench is uh, is going to be uh, instrumental for them as well because you might decide you want to take a run at somebody or or you know take a whack at somebody. Well, you have to remember you might have to answer for it, and he's as good as anybody else in the NHL at making people answer. Gary, a lot of uh, a lot of experts and fans look at this West Division going into the season, and they pick the Blues, the Golden Knights, and the Avalanche. This is the three favorites to come out of this division. Of course, the top four uh, go to the postseason. But of the other teams, you got Minnesota, you got Arizona, the three California teams. Who do you feel like is kind of a dark horse going into this season that people aren't talking enough about? Um, well, I don't think I, I, I think people are right to talk about those three top top three teams. I think that they are they are different than every, anybody else in that division. Uh, I guess the next level uh, would be Minnesota and Arizona, and then uh, and then the three California teams. Um, you know, Arizona is an interesting team. They they struggle to score, but I think it uh, it'll be interesting when you play them eight times. Like, I don't think anybody's going to roll over Arizona in all eight. I think that Rick Tockett will find a way to claw wins out of out of those series. So uh, I, I think people are right to have to have Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado at the top of uh, at the top of their list. And uh, yeah, uh, Minnesota. You know, Bill Guerin is trying to retool on the fly. There, I'm not sure that they're that they're quite ready to challenge with those three. But they're an interesting team as well. He's Gary Lawless, Vegas Golden Knights insider and radio analyst. Gary, always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe, stay healthy out there, and we look forward to hearing you on the call for the Vegas Golden Knights games here soon. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great day.
Absolutely. Same to you. That is Gary Lawless joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's 145. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm fascinated by the Arizona Coyotes, mostly because yeah. of the Blues. Like He said nobody's worried about them scoring on them. Well, unless they're playing St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> In which case, we, we are certainly more concerned about that than I think most teams around the league. I... I'll be interested to see how these series, if you will, go for teams this year. Because he's right. These are going to get super intense by the end of them. We talked about that with Jamie whenever this was announced. There's going to be some stuff that is not forgotten whenever you go these back-to-backs or like Vegas has those four games right away against them. I'll, I'll be interested to see how that goes. The Blues have won late in the season, like right before the end of the year, four straight games against Minnesota to basically yeah. close out the year in late April that's going to be one where things, I would imagine there's going to be some stuff on the line oh, for yeah. both teams there. Uh, th- that Those are going to get super intense there at the end of the season. And the problem is the all of these teams in the West play heavy. Like There's no team in this division that, that plays like an Edmonton Oilers or like a Montreal Canadiens that like to play the run-and-gun style. Vancouver. We or saw Vancouver. Plenty of that. Yeah, they did that all over the ice. Like Canada would be the second division, I would say, is going to be a, a heavy division. But this this West, man, I mean, you got we, we just heard Gary talk about Ryan Reeves is going to be a factor this season, which is why the Blues got Kyle Clifford. And I was watching the practice earlier today. Clifford almost laid out Tory Krug behind the bench. But let's be honest, you don't have to yeah. more right now when you're scrimmaging, but that's the capability of Kyle Clifford, and he will go toe-to-toe with Orion Reeves. You need that. But Anaheim, Anaheim is not going to go down uh, quietly. Like, they're a heavy team with guys like Ryan Getzlav and Richard Raquel. You got L.A., you got San Jose. All of these teams in this division play heavy, play physical. The more physical you are, the more pissed off you're going to be at that team when you play them two days later, which is why this is going to be a nasty season. Vegas or Colorado, in your opinion? Those are the two teams that we've previewed so far. Who do you think is the bigger, bigger threat to the Blues in the in this Western division, the I, Honda Western division, excuse I, me. I, I hate to say it because Colorado's so good, but Vegas to me is more of a threat. Blues, for some reason, always seem to have the number of Colorado. I don't know what it is, but it's always a shootout, meaning like these guys are scoring five or six goals. It's an offensive game. Vegas, for some reason, frustrates the hell out of the Blues. Ryan Reeves is one of those guys. Perron gets frustrated. But they got great goaltending. Their defense is probably similar to the Blues, I think, when you look at the the level of experience and the elite status that you're going to be looking at going into the season. And again, I think the last six to seven games that these two teams have played, there hasn't been a loss in regulation. It's either overtime, a shootout, or a win in regulation for either side. So they're the bigger threat in my eyes for how many play times you play Vegas and you play Vegas in March, which is going to be a decider for at some point of the postseason. So Vegas is more of a threat to me, but Colorado is not going to be easy either. Yeah. I think I would go Colorado in the regular season and Vegas in the postseason. It's kind of what I said earlier where Colorado's going to be good. I just, I think Colorado is set up this season to have a really good year. Um, I think Vegas, though, in a playoff setting, that yeah. would be the team that I would I would be less interested in playing in a playoff series than than Vegas. The only good thing, or is, than Colorado, rather. Well, I shouldn't say the good thing because we it sucks. We all want to be there, but the benefit for the Blues going into the season is when you play in Vegas, you don't have that crowd. I was there last January. That crowd changes the momentum of a game. We'll see. 
We'll see. I, I bet you. I wonder if that's going to be the case by the postseason. Postseason, I think it will be the yeah. case. It won't be the same as what it was. Like, it's not going to be a full crowd. It's not going to be sold out. But it will be more people in the stands. But I'm telling you, BK, January when I was there, and I haven't been to many other rinks, but Vegas' stadium, T-Mobile Arena, they talked about a postgame the Blues lost in that game that Gary was mentioning where Perron and Reeves kind of got after it. They were dead silent because the Blues were up by four goals. And then in the second period, one goal. It was a 4-1 to one game. The momentum shifted in that building. It felt like they were up by six, and they wanted it in overtime. So not having the crowd is going to be a benefit for the Blues, at least at the beginning, because that's, that's, a, that's a tough place to play. We saw it this year in the NFL. It was 50-50 home field. There, yeah. there was no home field advantage. So I think you're going to see something similar, especially with them not having as much travel as yeah. they typically do. I think that's going to find its way into the NHL as well. Right. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to cross things over with the fast lane next. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed any of the show today, 101ESPN.com. The 101ESPN app is where you find it. It is all presented by I Promise. We have broadcasted live today from the E&B Granite Studio out at the Centene Community Ice Center as the St. Louis Blues start up their training camp. Crossing things over with the fast lane. BT, what's going on, man? Not much, fellas. Miss you today, but you're in a beautiful studio there, out there. That's a good setup over at Centene. It's it's fantastic. I mean, you can't get a whole lot better. And Alex Ferrario was just I mean, he got here like two hours early. BT, this was like if you went down to Jupiter and were just watching the backfields at spring training. That was Alex Ferrario just eating things up earlier. today. Just geeking out. I love it. You're you're a hockey guy. All right. You're 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 locked in. You're loving it. It's the little details that are going to make all the difference throughout the season. Uh, So keep that up. I like it. Look, you saw a couple of weeks ago bt i came into the studio with a suit on you guys like what the hell are you doing i did the same today because you know what it's it's starting to get hockey season pregames next week so i got to start getting into that vibe and putting the suits on all day you could have done a pullover or something i mean it's a bit yeah, over i just went make everybody down else i felt like that was enough yeah, bk went button down to jeans day and he's like this is good this is good for me a little chilly in there did you throw a little sweater on no, no, not for me. I'm, I'm a, I'm a man, BT. Okay. All right, we're, we're no, warm okay. blooded, BT. We don't need no. We, we're not worried about no cold. All right, BT. What's coming up today on the fast lane, my man? Well, we, we are. Uh, we're going to break down a little bit of everything, but right off the well, not right off the bat. Second thing, we're going to talk to New Blue. We got Mike Hoffman at two fifteen. Oh. It's going to be uh, great. Uh, you know, I'm going to wish him best of luck on this tryout thing because <laughs> I really hope it goes well for him. Well, I have been told by Alex Ferrario, it looks like Brett Hole out there, yeah. so I think it's going okay. I yeah. heard about this. Yeah. We'll get into that as well. And ask him about Robert Thomas, because he looks like Adam Oates yeah, out there. I've I'm heard just saying. about that also. Uh, stay tuned. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
Count on the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to recommend the best products for your vehicle and budget. Get maximum cooling system performance for 10 years or 300,000 miles with peak long life universal pre-mixed antifreeze and coolant. Now just $3.99 after mail-in rebate. Limit supply. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.